Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm Tanning Grace, as always, I'm joined by Ross Merriam. Ross, how you doing today? I know this is an exciting like week and a half for you with uh, NBA free agency going on, because it's it's not like... So in baseball, it gets spread out over months, while in like football, it's in like one day. But like <laughs> basketball, you get kind of like a week, where it's kind of like... Um, it's 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 a lot at first, and then like there's maybe some stuff spread out, but it's not that that many surprises, except for maybe some of the trades. Yeah, I, I would say in in a typical off season, NBA free agency is exciting for two weeks or so, maybe a little bit more. Uh, and this one was, but this one was much more condensed because the season is starting shortly, so it was really over a weekend. Now it did take a little while to start ramping up because of the whole. Um, they're trying to crack down on, on tampering, but a lot of the time, you know, every team just flaunts the rules and starts negotiating well before they're supposed to. And so in a normal offseason, you'll see deals announced within seconds or minutes of the start, the official start of the free agency season. Yeah, you're like, you're how like, did yeah. how did that happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, oh, you just sent the offer immediately. And they're like, yep, no, don't need to negotiate. That's good. Like, they know? don't even get past the headline. They're like, it's this many years for money. All right, sign it. <laughs> yeah. We, we all know those contracts are really convoluted, you know? Yeah. So uh, th- that that's what would happen in a typical year. That didn't happen. It didn't happen quite as quickly this year, uh, especially with the whole Bogdan Bogdanovich thing. Uh, yeah, that was, but- I think, the biggest surprise of the offseason, right? Like... Yeah, um, I think it would have been a bigger surprise for Houston to really implode, although it was weird that it looked like they were going to implode, and now it looks like they're not really imploding. Well, but who knows like what the locker room is going to be like this year. So for anyone who doesn't know what Ross is talking about, the Houston Rockets, uh, Russell Westbrook and James Harden both went out, and I don't know if they went out separately. or There were reports that Yeah, there's that. reports that, of that. Um, I got to at least believe the Harden one or that he wants something to change because he turned down a $103 million extension for two years. He turned on like, you know, $51 million a year, $52 million a year. And my favorite quote that I've seen about this is that like Houston's like, look, we're not going to be strong armed or we're going to we're going to get fair value for these guys if we trade them because we're prepared to make th- we're prepared for things to get awkward is the quote. <laughs> yeah. we're, we're ready for things to get awkward in Houston. We so, don't give a shit. Yeah, they're like, you know what? We're, you're coming down with us, you know, like kind of thing. So Their owner, their new owner is terrible and is just running the team into the ground. So that was fun for me as a, as a Jazz fan. The Jazz and Rockets are rivals in case you right. weren't aware. Right. Uh, played a lot in the mid-90s, played a lot in the mid-2000s. Yeah, they were, they were fighting for, for second best team in the mid-90s. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the, the Rockets actually in their, so they, I assume you know that the Rockets won the two the two championships in between away, the Jordan right? three peats, yeah. And in the the in the second of them, that regular season, they had only gone forty seven and thirty five. They were a, the sixth seed, I believe. I think they're the lowest seeded team ever to win a, a title. And they beat Utah during that run. And uh, Utah was like that was one of the first years that they looked like they were going to be really good. They had finally gotten Hornacek as that third piece. And they got upset by a, a, a weaker, at least in the regular season, Rockets team that was the defending champion, but hadn't had a great follow-up season. So that was a that was a big blow. And then when the Jazz did finally make the finals, they beat Houston in the Western Conference final to make it on that buzzer-beating three from John Stockton, where you know an aged Charles Barkley is sprinting out as fast as you know Charles Barkley does to try to close out on Stockton and to no avail as Stockton drills the three because he's a fucking man. Uh, so there's a lot of history there in in the mid to late 2000s when it was Yao and T-Mac and the, the 
uh, Jazz had rebuilt around Derek Williams and Carlos Boozer and Memo Okor and Andre Kirilenko. Uh, they played that. multiple series in the playoffs. Uh, Jazz usually had their number during those because T-Mac never won a playoff series. So, and now recently, you know, Houston eliminated uh, Utah the two se- two seasons before this past one. Uh, once in the first round and once in the second round. So a lot of, a lot of playoff series between those two teams. We uh, we don't really like each other. So if, the, if there's one team that's going to implode for no real reason over the course of an offseason, if it's the Rockets, I don't mind it. Also opens up the West a little because the West is always ridiculous. Yeah, and like from an outsider's perspective, I don't blame Harden. I don't see them getting over the hump. Like I remember when they made the trade for Westbrook, I was just like, why? Like this yeah, doesn't... That, that, that trade for Westbrook just ruined that team. Yeah, it didn't make sense to me whatsoever. Like, you gave up so much. Like, like OKC, you and I talked about this earlier. OKC just, like, owns the draft for the next, like, 10 years. Like, they have all of, uh, they have, like, a ton of stuff from the Clippers, a ton of stuff from, from Houston, and then I think they have somebody they else, have too, right? 16 or 18 picks from the next coming draft through the 2026 draft. So the next six drafts, they either have 16 or 18 first-round picks. Yeah. So they're, they're averaging two or three a draft. Right yeah. now, uh, which is pretty incredible. But yeah, I know I agree. And and now more, you know, the GM Maury left and is now in in Philadelphia, and that team is now now looks really scary. I think they're they're underrated right now. Um, yeah, like he, he they let Elton Brand fuck it up for like two years, and Maury's like, hold on, I got this in like twelve hours. <laughs> just yeah, oh yeah, within yeah within two days, he just undid all the damage Elton Brand did very easily with just very like. Just pretty obvious moves, like just surround your fucking two main guys with shooters, and you'll be fine, you know. So they got Danny Green, you know. They they can move now can move Tobias Harris to his natural position at the four. So I think he's gonna have a bounce back year, you know. Everything just makes a lot of sense. Uh, that Horford signing was one of the most egregious things I've ever seen, almost as egregious as that Westbrook trade. And uh, as I wanted to remark that that trade, I have to imagine that was something the owner wanted to do. I, I just cannot see Daryl Morey making that trade, given how analytically minded he is. And, and you know, if you do look at some of Westbrook's analytics, uh, his advanced stats, some of them look really good, but they look very good in ways that we know the uh, the commonly available numbers inflate people. They inflate guards who rebound, uh, just like they, they inflate big men who, who assist. They really overrate individual rebounding overall that's why big men are often overrated in, in those numbers as well just a, as a class um but he, even his advanced numbers westbrook have declined in recent years his shooting is heinous and yeah like, the guy can't make a jump think, shot to save his life like yeah he, i just don't i honestly just don't think he's a, a positive player i know in on, on an nba basketball team right now no nah, I, I don't think so either like ECG. he's he's a very talented basketball player if you played one-on-one he'd be very good but when you're playing five-on-five nba basketball it, it just presents too many liabilities. Do you think it's like the love of the triple double that did that to him? Do you think he kind of like fell in love with just trying to do everything and be everywhere? Oh, well, I, th- I, I think the idea behind that in Oklahoma city was that if they let Russell Westbrook get the defensive rebound, they don't need an outlet pass to start the break. And like, that was going to be faster somehow than letting Steven Adams get a lot of them and have Westbrook get an outlet pass halfway down the court. I, I don't really know if that's true or if that was 100% the reasoning, but I, I think Westbrook just has, he is, you know, hyper-competitive and, you know, wants to do everything he can to win, but I, like, I think that actually gets in his way sometimes. I think he's competitive to a fault where he's, you know, he just sometimes tries to do too much and goes overboard. 
There's a really um, telling moment in the playoff series they played against Utah a couple years ago. It was the first year where they had Russell Westbrook and uh, Paul George, and they had Carmelo before before people knew Carmelo was completely washed. Um, you know, so that was sort of their big three, and, and the OKC fans were super excited for that year after KD had left. They're like, yeah, we can compete again. We're going to be really good. And they, you know, were were fine in the regular season, and it, they ended up getting the four seed. Jazz had five, but they were, you know, I, I think it was a tiebreaker. I think they had the same record. I think both teams were 48 and 34. Uh, and uh, they think they're going to easily beat the Jazz, who at this point, it's Donovan's rookie year. So, you know, their best offensive player is a rookie. That, like, you know, uh, I thought they were a favorite going into the series as well. Turns out uh, um, Utah crushed them. They, they won in six, but it was a not super competitive six. Yeah, I remember, like, yeah, I remember the games are bad when, when Utah yeah, won. Yeah, like, they, the Utah lost game one, and then from then on, dominated the series. So, but the, uh, so my point, as I'm laboring to get there, <laughs> in game three, Ricky Rubio put up a triple-double. He played out of his mind. I think it was 26 points, like 11 rebounds, 10 assists, or 12 assists, something like that. Um, you know, and normally, if I if you somebody told me Ricky Rubio put up a triple-double, I would assume that he had like 12 or 14 points. Yeah, max. Yeah. But he had 26. Um, you know, he, he like made a step back, pull up three in that game, I remember. He made a buzzer-beating three, like off an offensive rebound at the end of the third quarter, you know, his little like mid range game, which he's not very good. Usually was working that night. Like everything was on for him. He was, it, it was awesome. And it, they're talking about it in the, the post game press conferences and Russell Westbrook went like clearly perturbed that he's being asked about this. And, you know, says like, you know, I, uh, I'm going to shut that shit down next game. Don't, don't worry. And he got two fouls in the first like four minutes of the of game yeah. four, just playing super aggressive defense for no reason. And he got one foul where like they're they're getting an inbounds pass, and he's just bodying up Rubio, who's just trying to get an inbounds pass, and just sort of just just goes straight into him and knocks him over. It's like yeah, that's just an obvious foul. Like you you just you just can't do stuff like that. Yeah, I feel like he lets personal feelings get involved into a team game. you know what i mean like you said he's he's very like i, I don't want to say the word selfish but yeah i don't think he's selfish no. i think i think he's he's just very competitive and i'm not sure if he is uh, like i i mean we know we just know very little about these people so i don't want to overly speculate right um but i don't think he's doing it out of selfish reasons i i think he really does want to win right and i i bet he like when he's playing within himself he'd probably be very fun to play with because he's very good at setting people up. I think he actually has to focus less on scoring moving forward and more on setting up his teammates. Uh, you know, he can be the guy who has the ball in his hand, breaks down a defense, you know, gets the help defense to rotate and starts opening up passing lanes and opening up shooters. Uh, but he's just not an efficient scorer himself, so he shouldn't be looking to score as much as he does. But I, he might just be overconfident in his abilities. I don't really know. The point is, he's just not that you know. He's not that guy anymore. That good yeah, of, an, yeah, yeah. of a player anymore, and I think it's only getting worse from here. So that trade that Houston made last year was heinous, and they're just kind of fucked because of it. And Harden realizes it and just wants out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, he sees the sinking ship and just wants the hell out. But yeah, you know how sometimes when you meet athletes or celebrities in real life, and you're like, I, I thought you'd be bigger. You know, you know that. that uh, that's Russell Westbrook, by the way. Uh, I've I've ran into him like multiple times. He likes to play PLO at the win in Vegas, and so I used to just like walk in and he'd just be there, like he'd just be chilling at one of the tables and like 
or whatever. I know he's not a big guy, but still, like, he's a professional athlete. You know, you expect them to be bigger. Because in your mind, they're they're huge, right? You know, kind of things. He's listed at 6'3", 200. He did not seem either one of those numbers when I when I walked. But maybe maybe he seemed 6'3". You know what I mean, Billy? He's a long, lean 200. You know, like, NBA heights used to be listed, like, way too high. Way too high. They had Barkley at, like, 6'7", or some shit. And he's, like, yeah, he's like 6'2". Yeah, that man is, like, 6'3". So yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, to, uh, a year or two ago... They started requiring everybody to list heights without shoes. So everybody got relisted and heights came down. Like when Donovan came in his rookie year, he's listed at 6'3". He's 6'1". Yeah. (laughs) It's 6'3 in shoes. Uh, So I I don't know if that 6'3 has been updated. That was just me going on basketball reference. I need some of those shoes, man. They'll put me over six feet. I'll be, uh, you know, I'll be dateable by women. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it'll be over six feet. Yeah, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But uh, so I'm, I'm... I'm pretty excited about the NBA offseason. Um, I, I like what the Pelicans did. You know, we don't have to go super in depth or whatever, but like everything's pretty died down at this point. Yeah, like they're we're basically just waiting. To, I think the Kings have a couple hours to match Bogdan Bogdanovich. They just said sheet. they're probably not going to. Yeah, I, I saw the, the headline that they're probably not. But he was the last big free agent. Like, there's going to be a couple. Like at this point, I think most people who are remaining are going to wait a little while. Uh, you know, the I guess training camp starts the first, but. You know, in the next week, they'll wait a couple of days, see if they can get better than the men. And, you know, if they can't, then they'll just start looking for minimum. Or like an injury happens happen. or someone shows up and they're not in shape, yeah. you know, something, you know, you'll, like. You'll see those trickle in over mm-hmm. the next week. That, that happens in baseball so. quite a bit. There's been a thing the last few years where, like, some players just not been in spring training. They just show up, like, the first month of the season. And they're like, screw it. You know, I got a little bit better of a deal, possibly, than what I've gotten, you know, whatever. But. Uh, yeah, like the like the way the Pelicans look and stuff like that. Uh, the Atlanta Braves made some some splash in the in the off season here. We're not going to talk about the Jazz. I mean, I I don't know if we have time. Is the, is the <laughs> thing like? I mean, like because because here's the thing. Like what, y'all y'all signed Derek Favors and you and you and you gave the max and uh, gave the max extension to Donovan and then the rest were like, like all the all the window dressing too. You got the the fifth year player option, fifteen percent yeah. trade kicker. Well, obviously, you just give him everything uh, he wants, the, right? The, the the he can get up to like the rookie super max. If he hits all NBA this year, oh, which he, he probably will. We'll see. We'll see. Um, I Maybe. mean, it's tough to get. There, oh, all there's NBA. Six yeah. guards that na- get named all NBA. There's three teams. Yeah, yeah. I forgot about that's that's, not, all that's all NBA. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's not divided by conference, so he's got to be one of the six best guards in the entire league. What other moves did they make? Did they make any? I know they made some fringe moves or whatever. They, I, you resigned I mean, they, Clarkson. They, they resigned Jordan Clarkson. Yeah. because they had his bird rights. They basically just stayed with with the team, and the, essentially what they're saying is we think our big weakness, which held our team back last year, was we didn't have a good backup center or good enough backup center, and so we were really bad with Gobert on the floor with Gobert off the floor. And if you look at the numbers, I, then um, th- that's borne out by them. They had a defense that was had a they had a defense rating of like one hundred seven point four, I think, with Gobert on the floor and with him off the floor, they were like one fifteen, one sixteen. And keep in mind, average is like one ten, one eleven, something around there. This is points given up per one hundred possessions. So they're you know, uh, and a one hundred seven that that one hundred seven point something number would rank them top four to six in the entire league if they maintained that uh, when Gobert was off the floor. And two years ago, when they had uh, Favors, when Gobert was off the floor, so presumably Favors is getting the majority of those backup five minutes, two years ago, their offensive ra- or defensive rating was 105.9, which would be like second or third in the league because Milwaukee's awesome. So, you know, Derek Favors is a starting caliber player who just likes being in Utah. He's a low-key guy. He's been there forever and, you know, wanted to come back. He's going to play a, a diminished role from what he could be doing somewhere else because he just likes it there, I guess. So they get they're basically get to play a starting caliber center 
you know, as their backup five. So presumably they should have good good bench minutes there. The the big thing for me was that there was a lot of talk, uh, not from the Jazz organization itself, but from the talking heads and fans about the need for more perimeter defense. Because the, the idea is that they lost to Denver because they had nobody that could contain Jamal Murray. And I was leaning that way too. I thought they would want, they would pick up one more person to that degree or, or draft it, and they didn't. And uh, there's been, you know, com- uh, you know, questions about why why not. And the more I've looked into it, the more I think it makes sense. Like one, you don't want to overreact to a single playoff series of seven games. Two, there's no perimeter defense that is, you know, stopping the things that Jamal Murray was doing. He was literally just launching pull-up threes off screens and making 20-foot jumpers. Like, there, there's only so much you can do to yeah. prevent guys from just yeah. making a ton of shots. Well, you just do tackle the dude? Like, <laughs> Yeah. To, to a certain degree, I think that performance is unsustainable. Same with Donovan's in, in that series. So you, you shouldn't certainly shouldn't overreact to it. They could have been bubble-related, too. I remember a lot of people saying yeah. the shooting was a little bit better in the bubble and stuff, too. Yeah, completely agree. Yeah. Uh, so, again, another reason not to overreact to that. So I think a lot of people are, have a lot that recency bias from only seeing the games that were in the bubble because they're so much more recent than the rest of the season. And we're, like we're so far removed, we're almost a year removed from from when the the season shut down because of COVID. So I think that affected the way people thought, and, and that I was I was there too. And the more I looked back into it, the more it made sense that the the real weakness they need to shore up is the backup five. And honestly, like if they had another wing player, it would be very hard for them to get onto the floor. So like outside of your big man, there's four other positions. They play forty eight. There's forty eight minutes for each of them in a game. So you're looking at one hundred ninety two minutes, right? The Jazz already have Mike Conley, Donovan Mitchell, Royce O'Neal, Boyan Bogdanovich, and Joe Ingles. And like those are great players that they're going to play, and and Jordan Clarkson. And uh, they're going to play a lot of minutes. If the six of them fill up those 192 minutes, they're averaging 32 each. That's about a starter level uh, player. Your top players play a little bit more than that, some a little bit less, but 32 is right in there. I would say Mitchell's going to play 34 a night. I would say Conley and Ingles are going to play a little less than that, especially because they're older and it's a condensed season. I would say Royce and Boyan are going to play right about that. And Clarkson coming off the bench is going to play more like 24 minutes a night. So you really only have about 15, 16 minutes a night outside of those six guys. And most of those minutes are in the four spot. And they're going to go either to a big lineup where they play favors and go bear together. Or or they're going to go to George Niang, who is their ninth player. He shoots 40% for three. Not a great defender but great shooter, and that the Jazz like him. He's been in the rotation. So there really isn't more minutes to, to give to another person. And the last thing I wanted to say is the addition of Derek Favors does something that's really nice, and it lets them match up with the length of the Lakers. When you're talking about making these last moves to jump from being a competitive team to a you know contending team, you need to be able to win the matchups against the other top teams in the league. Yeah, so you might make and, a move that looks maybe a little strange, but it's like, we want to be able to beat this team. Yeah, yeah. And so for the last couple of years, when the Jazz have been competitive, the top teams in the West have been Houston and Golden State, and they're playing really small. And so the fact that the Jazz were big was a liability. But now you and have so the they Lakers. Made the, last season, yeah. they made the moves to go, go smaller. Yep. And it's like, oh, by the way, now you need the like because the Lakers are here. And they're and gigantic. I, yeah. yeah. And it was like, oh, go. Like, so, but now, like, can you imagine if they're trotting out Marcus All and, uh, and Anthony Davis, like, Unless they want to try to spread both favors and go bear away from the rim with those two guys, you know, and both of them can shoot, uh, but it's going to be hard to spread the floor with both of them. Uh, like, you know, they should be able to match up pretty well. Uh, same with if the if the Nuggets ever want to play a big man next to Jokic, 
uh, you know, the, the Jazz can put somebody like Favors on Jokic who can guard and who can guard him pretty well, even though he's not as athletic as he used to be. So the I was a little honestly when they announced it, I was like, yeah, that's not like it's not, it wasn't exciting. But the more you thought about it, the more it just made perfect sense. And it's just why I like being a Jazz fan. It's such a well-run organization. Yeah, and like I think that's like one of the the big things for me in sports as well. Like I like watching well-run organizations yeah. do their thing. You know what I mean? Like they, I, I cannot imagine being a Knicks fan. Like, yeah, like I, it, it would drive me up a fucking wall. I, I have that in I have that in baseball, especially like within my own division, like within the Atlanta Braves division. Like they're doing better lately, but like I've had the Florida Marlins for the last twenty years. You know, one of the worst-run teams. Their their owner, thank God, is gone now. Who was just. He was awful. The, the fire sale guy. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah. Now it's like series. it's sell everyone. Everyone keeps saying Jeter, 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 and I'm sure he has something to do with it. But he's a minority owner. You know, yeah, I don't he know. It's like five percent or something. Yeah, maybe he is actually in the baseball operations day to day, or maybe he's. I hope he's learning as well. You know, there's there's not some, you can't learn everything by playing the game when it comes to running a business. You know. Oh yeah, and also like we have a lot of evidence of you know Hall of Fame players and sports being bad, being the, very bad, on the managerial side yeah. of, and the the team building side. Like Michael Jordan has owned the 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 Charlotte Hornets for a while now, and they are not well run. Yeah. Well, hey, they got some talent this year. They they overpaid for Gordon Hayward, and I do. Here's think here's the thing. Everyone keeps saying that. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But I want to say this. Everyone keeps saying that they overpaid. They overpaid. Dude, they have to, right? Like, who's who's going there as a free agent? No one. Sure. Yeah. The, uh, and and there is some there is some potential here. I think for Hayward to uh you know he he had a good year last year, an underrated yeah. year. Yeah. Definitely. You know, he's he's not the guy he was in Utah, and the the key that shows you Too that is injuries, his free yeah. throw rate is yeah. down. He he just doesn't get to the line, which yeah. means he's not beating his man as often. Yeah, he's had too he many injuries, a, like serious injuries. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, that that ankle, like it's really just. The I'm, ankle. The I'm surprised he came back, dude. That looked like I, I want to vomit thinking about it. Anyway, go ahead. I, I I refuse to watch it. Yeah, I, ha- same. I haven't, and I I don't want it. I I saw it. It's not good. Yeah, it's <laughs> not pretty. Yeah. I heard that basically, like his foot was like dangling off. Yeah, it was. Point. You could tell it was not attached in a way that it should be yeah. attached. Like it's so, it's not as bad as like the Alex Smith thing. If you because if you watch the Alex Smith one, knowing the outcome, you're just like, oh my god, you know, kind of thing. But like. I never like the gruesome injuries or whatever. I've actually had one happen to me, and I know how it feels. I don't ever want to see another human being, like, go through that. But my, my issue with, like, it just, it, I, like, I don't think that signing was individually, like, necessarily that bad. Especially when you find out that, like, he was being offered pretty good contracts from the other teams that were interested. Um, you know, so I think the, I think most fans underrate Hayward at this point, uh, which makes sense. Yeah, it's just they want him to be like PK word. Like he just can't do that anymore. But like even him at like eighty five to ninety percent is still much better than almost every player in the NBA. Like, but I just don't. I don't see what they're like. There's not a cohesiveness to to anything the Hornets are doing or have ever done. Like they they could have just given Kemba the supermax a year ago. Yeah, and and not paid Hayward, and it would have cost them like you know. Not Less. that much yeah. more money, yeah. especially when you factor in they didn't actually have the cap space to sign Hayward outright for that. That's, amount that's of money. what I meant. Yeah, it cost them less they resources. Str- yeah. They stretched the last year of the Batum contract, which was during that that summer of the cap spike when everybody overpaid for people, or, or like like five GMs that were stupid and kept overpaying for people, and Charlotte was one of them. They gave Nicholas Batum, who was a great role player, in it like doesn't Portland. even play now. Like he doesn't they get minutes. Five year, well, they gave him five years, one hundred twenty five million. He finally fell out of the rotation last year, but he's not been close to living up to that contract. And this was finally going to be the last year that they had to pay him. And they're like, no, we're going to wait. What the, they are, they're allowed, you're allowed to stretch a contract. And essentially, if it's 
with if it has one or two years left. But it's one year left, you take the amount and you pay it over three years, and that opens up cap space. But then you have you know cap taken up the next couple of years, and if it's two years left, you stretch it over five. And so they took his twenty seven million this year and stretched it over three years. So now they're going to be down nine million in cap space the next two years. So they're basically paying hey we're thirty nine million a year for four years. That's not that much less than the Supermax that they refused to give Kemba, even though he's the best player in the history of the franchise since they came back and was beloved by the fan base and is better than Gordon Hayward. So, like, why are you giving Hayward that amount of money and you didn't give it to Kemba last year? You seemed like you were kind of tanking, but now you're not really tanking because you signed Hayward. So my issue with them is, like, there's just no cohesiveness to what they're doing. They're just throwing darts at a fucking dartboard. And that's how you end up as a 33-win team every year. And you and I talked about this earlier, and I've talked about this in multiple sports. If I hate mediocrity in sports, I want my team to be awful. I want my team to be good. I want to compete or like, let's, let's tank, let's rebuild. Let's figure out what we got to do. These teams that are like remotely okay every year and in like, you know, either just miss or get the seven or eight seed. I'm not in for that. Cause like, it's, it's going to be worse down the line. It's like, just rip the bandaid off. Yeah. You know, and uh, there are a lot of fans that I think that take that too far, and they basically, if, if you or if you're not one of the top two teams in the, yeah. in the you know, like the conference, they say you know blow it up, you're not good enough. I think that's ridiculous. But if you're perennially, if you're not consistently making the playoffs, and you're only occasionally, and you're getting you know swept or close to it every every round, and you, like you don't really have a path to improve, yeah, yeah, that's when you blow it up, and that's that's actually when the Jazz blew it up uh, ten years ago right after Sloan retired and they traded Derrick Williams because of the whole locker room nonsense there. They had this like medium team that had, you know, Paul Millsap right before he became an all-star, but he, he was at an all-star level at that Yeah, point. people knew he was good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was really good. They had Al Jefferson, who was like a dinosaur of a player, not in that he was old, but like he was a traditional big man. Yeah. Like, you know, back to the basket big man and wasn't a great defender. Um, they had a young Gordon Hayward that they were developing. You know, they had they had some pieces. They never had a good point guard ever. It was this rotating cast of like 38 year old dudes that shouldn't be in the NBA. It's like Jamal Tinsley. One I year, remember that. John Lucas, the third one year, that. Earl Watson one year. It was I don't awful. remember that one. Yeah, there were so many bad ones. Mo Williams one year. I remember that one. That, that buzzer beater against San Antonio. Yeah. Um, and they, you know, they made the playoffs in the, the lockout season, 2011, 2012. They went 36 and 30 and were the eight seed. And got swept by San Antonio, just obliterated. I don't think a single game was within double digits. Just you need to know what you're doing to beat close. the the good the, the good San Antonio yeah. teams back in the day. So yeah. they literally just they didn't they couldn't even trade people away because Jefferson Al Jefferson and, and Millsap were in the final year of their contracts. They just didn't resign either. Both of them left. They're like we're they get nothing be bad. Yeah. They, at that point, they also had a, they had Derek Favors on the bench, who was the main piece they'd gotten back in the Derek Williams trade. He was the third overall pick in the previous year in the 2010 draft um, because it was the 2010-2011 season where the trade happened. Uh, so he was entering his third year. They wanted to get minutes to Derek Favors. They're like, okay. We're good. And then they uh, they had a high pick, and they took Ennis Cantor. Uh, and so they're going to have Ennis Cantor, Derek Favors, and, and Gordon Hayward. And they're like, yeah, we'll just like be bad for a couple of years around this squad. They bottomed out one year at like 26 wins. They were the worst team in the West. And they had the fit, got the fifth pick and what was supposed to be that busted draft that ended up not being good at all. The Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker draft. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, it was supposed to be like a. Uh, it was supposed to be a four, like elite, potentially elite. Yeah, I remember they were like, you could take whoever over the first like five picks, and you'll have you have a franchise guy. And, like none of them. <laughs> like yeah, and so it was. It was Andrew Wiggins, Jabari Parker, Joel Embiid, and Dante Exum, this yep. kid out of Australia, who I was remember blindingly fast. Yeah. Um, and it, like it was supposed to be those four, and the Jazz unfortunately got the fifth pick, and I and I remember being so disappointed. It was like there were supposed to be still good players around. Obviously, it's the fifth pick, but everybody was talking like it was a four player draft. And it was pretty clear before the draft that everybody thought Embiid was going to be the best player if he was healthy. But the fact of his health was such a huge risk. He ended up going third to Philly. Didn't play his first two years, but is now, you know, perennial all-star. He's the one player who panned out from the draft. But then Orlando with the fourth pick took Aaron Gordon. And so I got really excited that draft night because the Jazz were going to get Exum. Exum, of course, never panned out. He's now uh, in Cleveland. Uh, Just never figured out how to finish at the rim. He's still lightning fast. And he's a pretty good de- perimeter defender as a result, but he just he can't shoot, can't finish at the rim, so he's just too much of a minus offensively. Uh, but they ended up, you know, you know, eventually rebuilding Ryan Gobert when he emerged. But that, you know, that's what that's when you that's when I, I like just you know breaking it up and accumulating assets, and that's sort of where Oklahoma City was, right? Like they they weren't going to get appreciably better, even though their team was pretty good this year. Yeah, like they had a bunch of talent, right? But it's like it's up there in age. Besides Stephen yeah, Adams, it's, you know, it's an aging Chris Paul. Age. Well, Stephen Adams is like late twenties, so is. But yeah, but he's uh, still got four good, four or five year years left in him, probably yeah, yeah. with the way he plays. Well, like that core isn't going to do right. anything. Yeah, you get yeah. you get uh you know uh, Gallinari as well, who just walked like you know yeah, he's, he's thirty thirty one probably yeah like. It, we're gonna do, yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna have all these guys play well to a six seed, like, like, get, get, come on, yeah. Like, losing the first round. You, you've that's already got a, what they were looking. At. Yeah, you already got a ton of picks. Like, just, just monopolize it. Because here's the thing, you don't have to have a ton of that stuff work out. You know I mean, with that much capital, if you have, if you know what's going on, like, you have, you know, they have a good young player, they can build around that, see what's going on, figure it out from there, and then like, you still have all this capital to move to other, like, other places if you need to make some trades to free up cap space, sign a free agent, do the right thing. Yeah, that, that's why you amass the assets. Like you, you find your your one or two pieces that you want your two pieces ideally that you want to build around, and once you have them, you're like, okay, now I'm going to turn these extra assets into whatever the missing piece is around them. I do want to steer this back to Magic in a second because we're going pretty long here, but I mean we'll we'll just put a timestamp in for people. But you know, and and that's why I'm excited because like two things real quick. Uh, I always go back to this. You know, the Atlanta Braves I think are like literally one of the poster childs for doing it right. They made the playoffs three years in a row and then blew it up. Because they realize they're like, this is unsustainable, this won't win, and we can't afford this. You know, all their players are going to be coming free agents at the same time. So they're like, do they have like a year and a half, two years left in their contracts? Like, let's let's do it now. Like, let's let's get let's because like if you look at the contracts of players that left, even the older ones got like absurd three and four year deals, and then like you know Hayward went on to sign like a two hundred and something million dollar, you know, just like one of the max deals that's ever happened in baseball and stuff. And it's like, yeah, you know, we some of those trades didn't work out, but like. You know, our, our front office did a really good job. And then when we look at New Orleans, we're kind of a team you're talking about. We're like, we have those two pieces, you know, with with uh, with our two superstars. I guess you could call them both superstars, even though they don't really deserve it yet. I mean, it's kind of hard to... Albies and Acuna? No, 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 no. I'm talking about New Orleans now. Oh. Um, and that would be yeah, like Freeman, you're, you're the MVP. You're expecting Zion to be that. Yeah. It looks like he's going to get there. If he can get himself into shape. And I, I actually like Brandon Ingram quite a bit. Yeah, I like so. Ingram's game, especially with, like, here's, here's the thing, you know, they added Steven Adams. so long. Yeah, they added Steven Adams to be that perimeter, I mean, perimeter, that interior uh, defender that they, they need. He doesn't need the ball in his hands to be a good player. You know, he's he's a very unselfish uh, offensive player. Like, I've actually watched the Thunder play a bunch. I used to go to the New Orleans Thunders games a lot, you know, to see Chris Paul and stuff. Anyway, 
And you got Ingram spreading the floor for Zion. Um, I forgot the kid's name that we took in the first round, but they're saying that he's going to get some minutes. You got Lonzo Ball. Yeah, you got Lonzo Ball here. I think this is going to be one of the most up-tempo teams in the league, and they're going to run a lot, and they're going to be very hard to defend because, like, Ingram's, Ingram and Ball are going to be, like, raining threes on you with Redick. And then, uh, you know, Ingram can slash in. Zion is unguardable in, in a lot of spots, like, just with the, the sheer size. Because, like, here's the thing. He's not the fastest ever, right? But for his size... The movement that he has is unreal. And I'm not comparing him to this person, but it's like when you watch LeBron. I'm not comparing him to LeBron. To me, Zion is Charles Barkley. It, I think, well, yeah. Before, watch before, clips of young Charles yeah, Barkley before he, got fat. he was in Philadelphia. Yeah, before, before he got older, before he yeah, got slower. Well, like, he was yeah. an incredible... Well, have you seen his stuff as, at Auburn? His like his, his like I've seen videos of him at Auburn, and he was, like, not... You, you were like, this is a man amongst boys, you know, kind of thing. So, that's what I, I see when I see Zion. But yeah, the last point I was going to make with that is like, I, I like all that that's on the court, but then you actually look at the next, what, five to six years, you know, up to like 2024, 2025. So like the next four and a half seasons, you know, like this off season to those, we've got a lot of first round picks. We've got a lot of second round picks, like a lot of stuff that we can move around and like, we can either make good picks or we can make the, you know, Hey, we need this one, you know, we need this one player. We need, we need like, you know, if ball doesn't work out. We need a point guard or Reddick leaves next year. Like, Hey, we need that one guy that that's that sharpshooter, you know? To, yeah, you to, could to work move up in the draft if you wanted yeah. to. You could package in a trade. You got a lot of options. And this is like the situation where I actually like moving up. Most of the time I don't because to me, a lot of it is just up to your player development and just, you know, throw getting enough guys through the door of the organization. Eventually, some of them will pan out. This is about getting more bites at the apple. Um, but th- this is when you already have the cornerstone pieces. And honestly, like I think Zion and Brandon Ingram could be a one-two on a championship level team. And that would be nice, honestly, because like we have them both locked up for about four or five years, which is nice because, as you know, if you follow basketball, that's been the problem in New Orleans. We've had some really good talent come through. You know, we had Chris Paul; we couldn't hold on to him. We had some some good, you know, second level talent. Then AD, you know, in the last year, he just goes to LA and immediately wins a title with LeBron. You know, and it's one of those things that's really annoying. We just become like the Kansas City Royals Expos kind of team from MLB. You know, we're like, oh, they have a superstar. Well, they can't pay him when he's a free agent, so he's going to go to the Yankees or whatever. He's going to go to the New York Mets, you know, kind of thing. I think they're so. better set up to build quickly around mm-hmm. the stars at this point where they're, if their team gets good enough, you hold on to them. Yeah. Because the, the guy, you can pay them more money and you're going to win. Like, that's enough to hold people. Hopefully. Especially yeah. now when I think the market you're in matters a lot less mm-hmm. because so many people can just stream on demand. Yeah. Like, you don't need to get all the nationally televised games. It doesn't seem to be as big of a problem ago. as it was 15 years ago, you know, 10 years ago when we had, like, Chris Paul and stuff, yeah. There are still – there's, like, four markets that are sort of bigger than the rest and really attract people, and it's, like, L.A., Miami, Boston because of the history. All the Northeast teams, yeah. And – um uh, well, not, not, like, not all of them. I'm thinking baseball. In baseball, it's all the yeah. Northeast teams. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In in it's LA and Miami because of the warm weather and the lack of state income tax in Florida. Uh, for the the are probably the top two. Um, Golden State has been recently, but that's mainly because they've been winning. You know, from from there, it's more about like ring chasing teams that that are well constructed, and and New Orleans could certainly do that. And you offer warm weather. Yeah. You know? New Orleans is not a bad city to be in if you're an NBA player. Uh, I mean, the players seem to like it. Poor Clay, by the way. You know, like, I'm not rooting for Golden State either way or other, but, like, that's awful. And, like, he's probably never going to be the same player again. For anyone who doesn't know, he's coming off an ACL tear, and he just he just tore his uh, Achilles. So, like... Yeah, in he, the other leg, so... Yeah, so he's going to yeah, be hampered quite a bit. That's unfortunate. Yeah, very unfortunate. It's, it's, it shows you, like, when you've got the window, you got to maximize it and do it quickly. It's not something that you'll keep... In pro sports, you can't bank on, you know, everybody staying together 
or not having injuries for a huge period of time. That that team was dominant for five years, and it feels like it was over instantly. Yeah, it feels like it. it it almost happened like a like a car accident or something. It was just like very sudden, very abrupt, and like you're just like, wait, what? What just happened? Because like you forget that you know, like some of these guys, they're they're all still there. Besides KD, you know that whole team is still there. You well, know, uh, Iggy, the the bench, which is yeah. an underrated part of why right. Iggy was, was a big underrated part. Yeah, yeah Iggy but, and Sean Livingston. But you know. they did that after all the injuries. You know, they, they were like, all right, well, we can't, re- we're not competing. Like, let's get rid of this. You know, let's get rid of yeah. Iggy and stuff. It's Those guys were aging too. Livingston yeah. retired. And Iggy's not. Yeah, not the no, same of course. Player, so. I mean, when you retire too, you're like, we're not winning anymore. I'm done, man. Like, I'll I'll come yeah. back if we start winning. All right, I'll I'll I'll, I'll get he, in the gym. He, he might have retired anyway. Yeah, I know. He certainly wasn't going to be as effective. So that that team was already, and it's not clear like. If Draymond is the same player he was a couple years ago, it, it would make sense. Like the way Draymond is, it kind of makes sense that when he's on a shitty team, he's just not going to be as good. I just don't think he's as dialed in. I don't like that uh, guy. Because he knows they're not winning. <laughs> yeah. And I, you know, I don't blame him. So I yeah. think he kind of mailed in the last year. Oh, yeah. Um, but we'll see. You know, I think what with just Steph still, he, they think they can compete and make the playoffs. And I, they should think that. So we'll see exactly what kind of Draymond we get. If we get really good, like you know, 2016, 2017 Draymond, that team can definitely still still compete. Uh, yeah, uh, unfortunate to have Clay. Dude, the back to back injuries are rough. All right, let's try to move into some magic talk here because there was a big event that went on this weekend. Uh, the company that employs you, Star City Games, they had an uh, SCG tour online. The Caladem Championship Qualifier event uh, happened this weekend. It's a, it was a 5K. It's also a PTQ, right? Like, I think the top person qualified for... That's, what, that's just what it is. Yeah. I don't even think they're calling it the SCG tour online. Like, this isn't... It has the SCG tour online this thing. This is just them running tournaments for, like, not for Watsy, but, like, I, I, like they're, they're just called it the a call time championship qualifier. I guess, okay, it's an SCG Tour Online call-time championship qualifier. So it's sort of a blending of the two. But I don't think, like, I don't think the SCG is going to have, like, a, 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 a championship at the end of the season because you just qualify for the call-time championship. So they're basically just kind of moving the SCG Tour Online under that same umbrella and saying, we're going to run these tournaments. And, you know, they have separate prizes and everything and the SCG coverage and all that, uh, that stuff. But it's leading towards that same end. So everything is going to be building towards the call-time championship in uh you know january or february something like that and this was the is this the second one of them i think it was i, I think so as well um so this one was historic which is interesting right this is like i think the first uh historic one that they've ever done um it also has a weird structure than what you're used to we're not looking at a top eight cut we're looking at a top 12 uh cut for online and a couple of big names made in here um a lot of the decks that you're kind of expecting did anything really shock you no i know there's one deck in here that i was like very interested to kind of mouse over and take a look at and that was the fifth place finishing mono black gift deck you know i i've heard of it you know it's like a bit on the fringes but i didn't think it was one of the you know the main players to be looking out for but it it did pretty well in this event um you're seeing you know goblins show up but uh you kind of were interested in the, in the winning deck this uh it's called four color mid-range it's really just splashing for a certain color out of a three color deck but or a certain card out of a three color deck yeah, so Sultai Midrange is sort of the, the number one deck in Historic right now. If you look at the archetype breakdown... Can, can, I, can I... I'm going to interject for one second. The, the main reason being, like, for some reason, Uro is still legal in, in this yeah. format. Yeah. And so, you know, like, Uro and Thoughtseize, and Thoughtseize is, is yeah. legal in Historic for some reason as well. So you just get to play Uro and Thoughtseize. And so Sultai Midrange, it's, you know, sort of the default number one deck. You see uh, it was the most played deck in the field to about just under a quarter. 23.5% or so. Its match win rate in the tournament was not very good. It, it was sub-500 in the tournament. 
So it does not seem to have performed very well, at least this past weekend, but does take home the trophy in the hands of Yuma Koizumi. Just, uh, and this is, it's four color mid range, but it's literally splashing for two Yasharn as one Mythos of Nethroi in the sideboard. So a very, very light touch of white here a in what sprinkle. is otherwise the Sultai Midridge deck. Yeah. And we, if you watched the tournament, I don't know how much you watched, but Yasharn literally won the finals. You know, he, they played against Rakdos Sacrifice. Yasharn, you know, stops you from being able to sacrifice things. Pretty good a card against a deck who's, you know, predicated on being able to sacrifice stuff. Is that a good thing when you can stop the deck from doing the thing it's named after? Yeah, so y Yuma found, you know... Uh, an early copy in both post cyborg games and that's essentially the card that won the final so it's possible that you know this deck is still good but really needs yasharn to help out in certain matchups you know yasharn also helps against uh goblins they like to sacrifice with skirk prospect skirk prospector um and that's a pretty a pretty big part of what they're doing the um the mono black gift deck that you noted plays priest of forgotten gods and fiend artisan so, and Woe Strider as well. So they have a bit of a sacrifice theme. There's a lot of sacrificing going on and Yusharn is just a fine value card to, to begin with. Uh, so it seems to me like they, Yuma made a, a very wise uh, metagame decision here and it, it really paid off. Though important to note, Yuma finished 12th after the Swiss. This was the last person to yeah. make the cut into the elimination rounds. They had to win four matches on the draw to take down the trophy. But if this were under a normal, uh, a, a normal structure, normal Swiss cut to top eight, they wouldn't have even been in the elimination. Rounds. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so interesting to see that, that come up. Uh, I kind of wanted to touch on that format. I don't like. I don't know what made SCG want to do that. It does make the tournament around longer. I know some of the previous SCG tour online events had been rather small and it finished pretty quickly. So I was. I'm wondering if they maybe wanted to add another round just to give the tournament a little more length, give them some more opportunities for coverage. But this event ended up being 279 people. I think the allure of being able to qualify for the Call Time Championship, being you know brought under that umbrella, really drew players into these events. Uh, you know, I, I like the I like the structure of the things around it. You know, the previous SCG Tour Online seasons would have a lot of smaller events through the week that you qualify for. This this has that roughly the same structure, but they don't happen throughout the entire week. It's Friday and Saturday. They run five or six of them. If you go uh, four and two, there are six round events. Uh, if you go four and two in them, you you qualify for the Sunday qual call time championship qualifier. If you go five and one or six and zero, oh, you get one and two buys respectively in the qualifier. So um, I think that is is also really appealing. The fact that you know if you really crush the uh, first event, you get buys in the, this qualifier, and then obviously like, just that prize of being able to compete on what is essentially now the the equivalent of the Pro Tour really brought people out to it. I'm wondering if they, they might make the change and go back to uh, a more normal structure know, to top yeah. eight. But if the, the person at 12th won, that's, that's a good storyline for them. So yeah. I, would, I also wouldn't be surprised if it continues. Yeah, it's, I, it's, it's kind of interesting, right? Like this, to figure out exactly why. I'm sure there's a mathematical thing to it or like the amount of rounds that they, they consider playing. But I, I, I don't think they adjusted to like the, the number of rounds they played is the same number you would under a normal structure. And you would have to like redo the math to do that. I don't think I don't think SCG like redid round math or anything. Let me say this, this allows you to lose more than once. You know what I mean? You can't you can't. You know, you're not just yeah, out yeah, pretty much. A lot of people make it in at two losses, yeah. and and but not all. Like the the X two bracket went down to thirty first. Mm -hmm. So the person who won this tournament had the same record after the Swiss as the person who finished thirty first. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Is a, a bit of a feel bad. I don't know exactly how many X twos were in the top eight, 
But what I do like is the people that go X and 1, which is roughly about four of them, and those people get a buy in the elimination mm. round. So yeah, so they get it, it, 5 it, through 12 play like a quarterfinal, you know. Yeah, so like the top four people after Swiss, they're in the playoffs, but they don't have to play the first round. So there is kind of like a top eight, but there's like four people waiting, you know. So it goes like, it goes like it's top eight. The, the, the eight people play, so uh, fifth through 12th play. So it's a top eight, and then four of those people lose, so they go to another top eight, and then you play the top eight normally, right? So like it's it's kind of interesting, right? So it's like two different sort of it's half a different top eight and half a different top eight. I don't know. I kind of like it. Uh, I haven't played through it. I haven't seen what it's like. I do think it's kind of um, I do like the structure, like you said, leading up to it a lot more. I feel like it's more cohesive. It's not as disjointed. It's not as like random. Uh, I feel like these things fire more and are more condensed, and it'll be more level uh, thing of play having buys available to some players is also a big incentive to, to play in one of these and to do well in one of these, which is a big deal because uh, let's talk about for about two seconds, how important buys are in events. I know that my SCG tour career was severely impacted by the number of buys that I had. Like as soon as I got a buy, like as soon as I started having a buy at events, I started top eighting at like a 50% rate. Like, and I was like, yeah, I just have to play one less or two less rounds. And it's so much easier to day two and then your record is just so good because I'm going to win most tiebreakers because I don't have to play those early rounds. And if that person doesn't do well, you know, it's, it's a lot easier on you. When you're winning, uh, I, you know, players, uh, you know, our caliber and the other, you know, common grinders we saw on the SCG tour, you know, we're winning 65% of our matches, maybe, maybe a little bit less than that. If I remember incorrectly from the you know slides, they would always prepare for players championship. Something like that. Yeah. 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 I, that's, know, that's where the, that's where the number should be generally of players that yeah. are doing well. It's high so 63, 64, 65 rounds. You're going on average about six and three. Right. But in most of these tournaments, you needed to seven, two to day two. Some of them you could six, three, but you know that. So you, if you ever had a below average tournament, you just weren't in the second day. Once you have two buys, let's say, now we're playing seven rounds. We're getting about four and a half wins or so. Now we're getting six and a half wins on our average. So we can be a little bit below average and still make it at 6-3. And we're more hitting that 7-2 a lot more often. Shit, you can get in with a 4-3 sometimes if you have yeah. the two buys. There was the, when they did the, uh, when they did the no ban less modern uh, open on the, one of the, the SCG. During Call the invitationals, Summers. yeah. That one, it was really tiny. It was one of the, I think the smallest two-day open they've ever It was ever like played. 200 people or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I went 3-4. I had two buys. I finished 5-4 after the buys and made day two. I ended up 4-2-ing the next day. So I went 9-6 overall, 7-6 in my matches and cashed. I mean, obviously that's insane, but there were some bad decks played in that well, event. Mine was one of them. Oh yeah, that, that's what I was <laughs> getting was at. Awful. I was about to say, no, I was about to say you, you gotta you gotta screw the pooch on me a little bit there. I was gonna be like, there were some bad decks that played in this one. I think that would be a compliment to the one that yeah. you played. It was just a bad deck. So I have uh I have only missed the day two of two invitationals since they started playing them in Roanoke, and that was one of them. And I had to lose the last two rounds to do it. Uh so I I I had just not even thought about no bandless modern at all. Like, yeah, I'm just gonna day two the NV, it's not gonna matter. And so I scrambled to get a deck together, Daryl Ayers. Uh, I remember. Just had, I, just I was had, sitting there when you had the conversation you. with him. Like he, yeah, like okay. he, he talked. Know, to, no, we went, exactly we went to dinner. We went to dinner, and you were like, yeah. "I think I'm going to play, but I'm not sure." And he was like, "Well, what are you going to play?" And you were like, "This." And he goes, "Yeah, I kind of thought about because like, y'all had some of the same ideas. Like you had some overlap of of the decks." And then he was like, "Well, 
I've been, I have this deck, and like this deck list, and you looked at it, you're like, yeah, you're like, yeah, because like it just had a bunch of banned cards in it, and I was like, this is sweet. Because you get that confirmation bias, you know, you're like, oh, if, if Daryl thinks it's good and I think it's good, we're both like somewhat intelligent and somewhat good at magic. We've got to be good. Us knew it was good, but we knew it would be sweet. Yeah, and it ended okay. up not being that sweet because it was just that bad. Um, so for those at home, I played a a Splinter Twin deck with Countertop and Chrome Mox. And what you have to understand is that at various points in Splinter Twin's life in different formats, you saw it with, you've seen it with Countertop, or it's similar to like Countertop decks that had a combo in them. And we've also seen twin decks that are more all in and have acceleration, maybe rituals, maybe Chrome Mox, things like that. But those are two very different ways to take it. The Countertop aspect makes you more of a control deck first. The Man Acceleration makes you more of a combo deck first. So you can't do both. And that was the problem. If I, if we had just picked a lane with the deck, it would have been significantly better, regardless of which lane we picked. Uh, but we had both, and I just saw, like, Mental Misstep and, you know, all these cantrips and Top and Chrome Box, and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm playing 40 band cards. Of course my deck is great. It was not. It was awful. Yeah. I, I remember watching some of your games and you just, like, struggling because your deck would be, like, one end or the other, and, like, you, you, you had too much going on, I yeah. think, is what was going on. So, but get, getting back to this tournament... Mm-hmm. I, I like the idea that having a cut to 12 lets you reward some of the people that did really well in the Swiss. It's a really, like, it's a big feel bad when you're, like, X1 or XO after the Swiss and then you just lose in top eight. Uh, I'm looking at these standings, though. It looks like there were six people that were X1 or better because I see the ninth and 10th finishers had an 8-2 and two record, which means they went 8-1 and one in the nine rounds of Swiss and then had to play and lost their top 12 match. So it looks like, based on the numbers... They didn't like quite get that. There were still a couple people that did, you know, a match better in the Swiss and lost and lost out. So I would like to see them adjust the numbers on how many rounds they play. Like maybe this this event probably should have had had a a tenth round of Swiss, but the, like the, the they can't do that logistically because the event already went pretty late. I think they finished like between eleven and midnight East Eastern time. Um, but I like the idea that people at the way top, you know, Wenzel Krautman exoed the Swiss ended up losing the top four, but that at least it wasn't, you know, it, at risk of losing in, in the in the first round of the of the elimination bracket. Which is which is a really big feel bad. In a, in a, especially in a large tournament where you're playing with a, that you put a lot of preparation in, you're like, well I exoed the Swiss and then I had one bad round in the top eight and like now I'm just out. And that's where you know some other esports come into in the mind where they have like double elimination. We tried that at a pro tour. You know where we had the 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 esports, the skins pro tour in Philly. Is it? No, no, no. There was one recently where they changed the whole uh, outlook. You had like upper lower bracket. So like if you lost in the top eight, oh, you would go to the lower the bracket. Top eight, yeah, yeah. I thought that one was horrible. It's the typical esports brand, and so they're trying to make. Because here's the thing: when you're trying to bring new eyes in, like you're trying to bring people from outside in, and like this is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna tangent for like two seconds because they announced either yesterday or today that at one at the next upcoming whatever it's called. For the MPL players and stuff, there are no concessions and there are no draws. You are playing every round, and love it because that is how it's done in in like every other esport. You you can't do that. Like you can't just concede. You can't just like oh hey like we're both in like do the handshake You're an thing. Entertainment product, so entertain people. Yeah, and so they were trying to make, you know, they try to make the game. This is this is when the arena thing was happening. Like you know, this is when arena started blowing up or whatever. Blah, blah. I might have my timeline a little bit off, but you know, this is when. This wasn't in the last five months. You know, this wasn't in the last six months. Still when it was a pro tour, et cetera. And so all this stuff is going on. And you're trying to market to new eyes with a game that wasn't really meant to be played in this way. So they're trying to find a happy middle ground, I think, to make it more palatable for players coming from other games. Because 
I'm not gonna lie, when you're watching this and you're seeing it on Twitch and you're like trying to follow it, especially when like, you know, when we had people from other games playing and doing well in this and they're trying to follow him going on, they're like, oh, well he lost. So like, he's just out now. Like, you know what I mean? It's just different than everything else. Or I don't understand the structure or like, why didn't they play this round or, or, or what happened? You know, like there's, there's too many moments of confusion where like, if you're not indoctrinated into the, into the MTG, you know, competitive format and, and you don't understand what's going on, it can look weird from the outside. So I think there's a big part of them, trying to find that happy middle ground and you know sometimes we go a little too much one way or the other so we'll see what happens it's an interesting structure we'll see if it works in the in, in the future the decks that made the top 12 kind of what i expected uh the deck that went undefeated in the swiss that you were talking about uh from krautman was azorius auras and i'm actually always a little surprised at how underrepresented this deck is because i watch one of my buddies play this deck and he just murders this format with it yeah, no, I, well, I'm not surprised that decks like that are underrepresented. I People think there's just a huge swath don't of want the to play it. Yeah. community that doesn't want to play decks yeah. like that. They feel like it's a mindless deck with not a lot. Of, it's like it's like the old adage of like, oh, the, of course, you're new to the game. You should play mono red aggro because it's simple. And I'm like, that's that's not real at all. Like, but like the, this deck has interaction. It has ways to be able to insulate yourself against your opponent's interaction and being able to sequence properly, like know when to to jam, when to hold up interaction and play a little slower, you know, ha which threats are more important in a matchup. All of these are really important. So I would imagine that this deck actually, you know, it, it, you know I, I, I just hate sorting decks in into easy to play, hard to play. The question for me isn't, you know, which is more skillful, because that's not, I think that's a nonsensical question. The real question to ask yourself is which skills are being stressed by certain decks, right? And, you know, when you're playing aggressive decks, it's about, you know, a, a lot of it comes down to, you know, knowing how to mulligan, how aggressively you need to mulligan. That That's that's somewhat universal, but I think it's more stressed in aggro decks because it's so important for you to get off to a, a quick start in a lot of matchups. A, you know, a lot of it comes down to... You know, determining the matchups where you need to take the control uh, role. You know, aggro decks sometimes do that. And you need to know when and how to do that. And then, you know, the it's sort of risk assessment. How much do I extend to the board? Can I just, you know, play like my opponent's a goldfish? Or how much do I have to hold back? And that those kind of tricky sequencing um, issues are, are really important. And this deck certainly has the ability to grind an opponent out with Core Spirit Dancer, SRAM, and Curious Obsession. There's a lot of card advantage here. So you're not, this isn't like the modern deck that is really just all in all the time. Uh, that This deck is going to have some play to it. I, I agree. I, I think it's quite underrated and wouldn't be surprised to see more of it moving forward. We've seen Aura's decks break through in Pioneer and become pretty popular. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, I would not be at all surprised to see that happen here. And yeah, if I had to play this format tomorrow, like if I had to play Historic tomorrow, I, I think this this is the deck that I would play. This one or um some of the some of the grinders were posting a picture of a deck that they were trying out today that they liked, where um two of the decks that have been talked about a lot in this format, you know, obviously Soltai. You know, we talked about it earlier, Soltai splashing white, you know, won the won the tournament. And some people have been seeking the praises of blue black control. In this format, because it can actually keep up with like Azorius Azorius Auras and some other stuff. Someone just kind of, uh, I think it was Pete Ingram, but I think and he just mashed them together. So it's just like Soltai control, but it's just Soltai with like a little bit more of controlling aspects. So you know, a little bit more spells. And of course, this is why I like it, Ross. It's got Torrential Gearhulk in it. 
You knew it was coming. <laughs> you had to know it was coming, but yeah. honestly... There's, I, there's not a ton of mystical disputes around in the format, so Gearhole can definitely find a home. Yeah, there's really not. And, and, and not to mention, I mean, like, you're you're the control deck. Like, you're pushing on them, like, at the right times. Like, you can find the right spot to put it in there or whatever. So, I don't know. You just have to play really well. So, like, maybe that's why I would actually lean towards Auras, because I have draws where I'm just like, well, not even I can mess this one up. You know, <laughs> so... and. You know me, I like decks like this. You know, I've played a lot of Delver in my days, but a lot of, like, uh, you know, Mono Blue Aggro and stuff. You and I both have, you know, good results in the SCG Tour uh, with that deck. And uh, Or for people, you know, some of the Mono Blue Shitters, as it was uh, uh, <laughs> very well known for a while. And I don't know, I, I think decks like this should definitely see more love. You know, I definitely agree with you there. And you have to get past this stigma of, well, you're you know, good good players don't play this deck, right? Because I, I will say this. If you ever want to get past that, go look at some of the top finishes at Pro Tours of your favorite players, and it's usually playing a deck that, like, you don't really expect them to have, right? You know, you see something weird or different from them, it's like, well, this is the right deck to play this weekend. They're playing one of those decks that, like, oh, I'm not sure I would I would play that deck or gravitate towards, you know, right away because it's like the the mindless aggro deck or whatever. You know, like, when I think of Yoel Larson, you know, I think of him playing blue-white control. I think of him playing, like, Delver-like decks, you know, blue-white flash and piloting them perfectly. Do you know what he won his Pro Tour with? Model Red. Just actual kill you as quickly as possible. You know why? Because the deck was broken. You know, it, was, it had a good. really good curve. It had, like, some absurd card in it. Carol Keep was printed in that. Abbot of Carol Keep. Stoke the Flames, I think, was legal. Put it over the top. Yeah, Stoke the Flames, I think, was legal at the time. So you have all this, like, you know, exa... I think it was. So you have, like, really good burn spells that are, like, way above average on the mana curve, too. And I know him. He's a lot like me as a player. I don't gravitate towards Mono Red in any way. You know, it's not the deck that I'm like, oh, I want to play Mono... I'm, you know, I'm not Sandy Dog. You know, I'm not Aaron Barrett. I'm not just automatically trying to attack you on turn one. But when it's right, like one of my best records ever at an, at an Invitational, I got unlucky to 7-1 a standard portion once with a mono red deck. I had, I had a Tom Ross deck before it was out. You know, and I was like, this I was like, this deck is so far ahead of the field, you know, kind of thing. So so yeah, like I, I just want to say the, the main point. Open yourself up to play more decks like this, especially if you want to be a competitive player or do well on the ladder. And you can do stuff. Speaking of that, I actually meant to bring this up. Uh I actually tried out uh tried being relevant on the ladder last week for a little bit on the limited side i assume yeah yeah i mean i've been playing a little bit of constructed but uh i was just doing so well at limited i just got to mythic very easily and very quick like, i was like wow that was yeah tannen sends me screenshots of his deck list and he averages like 3.6 ether chasers a draft and i don't know if, if people out watching or who listen to us play a lot of limited but if you're playing a lot of kaladesh remastered limited right now on arena what you if you don't already know that Aether Chaser, Aether Poisoner, and Aether Swooper, these are the Grixis two drops that make two energy when they enter the battlefield and make servos when they attack for two energy, they're all really good. Like really good. They are high pick cards. I would not mind first picking them out of packs. Yes. They are among the best commons in their colors, all three of them. Like they should be high picks, and I keep like sometimes I'm you know just sh Tannen sharing his screen and he's wheeling Aether Chasers. I saw the same thing when I, I watched um, Autumn Burchett. They've been streaming a lot of Kaladesh Remaster Draft, and then like they were wheeling the Aether Swoopers, Aether Chasers, whatever. Just start taking these cards more highly, please. I, I think a thing that helps, and this was my secret and why I was doing so well is I I think with the way the it's a little different than regular Kaladesh. It's Kaladesh Remastered, so you have Aether Revolt in it as well. So it's not like it's a two-pack. You have just one one pack, right? So all the cards are possible at all times. 
I really think that red was possibly the best color just because the commons were so good. Like, there's two really good removal spells at common, followed by another good removal spell at common, plus Aether Chaser being common, and just, like, you know, a really good improvised card in the 3-3-4. The three, three, yeah. So you just have so many good commons that, yeah, like... The depth of commons and red yeah, it's, really it, Yeah, and the uncommons are good enough, and there's, like... And, all of the red uh, gold cards are really good. Like, Unlicensed Disintegration, like, they're all World really Virtuoso. aggressive. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. They, if we're all Virtuoso, they all lend to, like, very, very yeah. good decks. Even, like, Voltaic Brawler is pretty good. Voltaic Brawler is messed up. It's really hard yeah. to block and stuff. The, so The red-green deck is a little awkward to build, but when you get it, it can be yeah. really good. I think I think on average it's not good. I think on average it's a little, because it doesn't curve well, but the good versions of it are yeah. very good. And stuff. Yeah, so, completely agree. When you um, curve like Voltaic Brawler into Thriving Rhino, it's over. Yeah, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like their removal is not going to line up well. Um, I've been streaming it a little bit. I know I've been joking on the thing. When are you going to be streaming? Whatever. I actually streamed some of it today. I've been doing a little bit of it, but I peaked out at like 14th on the ladder or, or something like that. Now I'm at like 1200th because I've been a decaying and b like I went on a pretty good losing streak or whatever you know. <laughs> yeah. But the thing is, is like also the way the ladder works. Like if you like five three a draft, which is like. I think you probably break evenish at five three in drafts, which is fine. You lose points. Like you were going to lose sp- space on the ladder, like the the way yeah. that it works. So if you're not cranking out six and seven win runs, and I mean by and even at seven three, you might not be gaining tons and tons of space on the ladder depending on where you're at. You've got to like put in volume and you've got to win a lot. So I I have a newfound like appreciation for the people that have really really high ranks. Yeah, and stuff. So there's a lot of um. I think that there's a lot of underrating of anything that where the volume that you put in matters to some degree. And and there's always, obviously we don't want to have high ranking achievements that are determined entirely by volume, but to have volume be a factor is not a problem. And that shouldn't diminish how difficult it is. Like, you know, it's hard to, because it's not like you just get to play, you know, a, a million rounds and do poorly. You've got to be playing a ton of rounds and still doing well to achieve these high ranks. And that makes it even more impressive to maintain a high win rate over a significant sample. You, If you're playing constructed, the metagame is changing. You might have to switch decks or change your deck a lot. So, you know, and you, if you're doing continuing to win a lot, that means you're staying ahead of the metagame. Uh, you know, Limited has a bit of a metagame as well. Probably not as much, but... If you're doing well over a huge volume of drafts, that probably means that you're not just forcing like one or two archetypes every time. You're probably proficient with many different archetypes because, you know, eventually if you're forcing one or two, that can work for a a small sample. But you're going to eventually run into drafts where that archetype is getting cut and it's just not open at all and you have to draft something else. So in order to maintain a high win rate over a, a huge sample um within a, a you know the same format i think you could if you were you know comparing this to like old pro tour drafting where every three months you had a new format and you did two drafts of it at the pro tour you know in your pr- preparation you could find one or two undervalued archetypes force those archetypes in those two drafts and move on and but if you're talking about drafting the same format for a month straight on a ladder like you you're probably proficient with four five six seven different archetypes yeah and like that takes a lot of skill yeah like here, here's a good example one of the last limited pro tours I ever played in um it was in spain I remember it was valencia uh it was modern but we did draft you know as well and it was um uh what's the first nyx set it was like journey into nyx or something? that was the third set of 
Theros block. Yeah, it was, it was it was Theros, but I think it might have been all three. I can't remember. It might have been all three, but I don't think it was. I think it was only like it was three of one set, or maybe it was like two of one set, and then one of the of the next set. It would have been Theros, born of the gods. Yeah, but I, I think born of the gods is in it. But I think it was Theros, Theros, born of the gods, or something like that, or it might have been triple Theros. I can't remember, but I remember. Uh, we quickly in our testing. It, it was Theros, Theros, born. That was yeah. Valencia. I yeah, we. I had, a, I had a friend who played that pro tour. Yeah, we. Yeah, me. But, uh, <laughs> but more friends then. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, we we quickly realized that red was the worst color in that, and so people were just shying away from red. And so I remember one of the like the second draft after that, I just drafted a mono red deck at the table and easily like three would in our testing. And I was like, yeah, I'm probably just gonna force this at the if if because like I saw people talking about it and like you know message boards, I saw other teams talking about. It, they're like, yeah, red just sucks, red just sucks. And like if if you're not gonna take the red cards, I, I'll I'll just have the red deck because because you could still beat people with it. It's not like it was horrible, but it was just it was the worst color. And then when you get to this set, like we're talking about Kaladesh, I pretty much draft two decks, is what it is. It's red X, which generally it's going to be red black or red blue. Those are the two of the better runs, and they, they curve better, you have better removal, you just have better cards. And then uh, the green X decks, which is usually green blue something. It's usually like Bant or like uh, green Grixis, I think is a deck that I like a lot. And the the Grixis decks were usually more artifact-centric, improvised. The green decks are more energy-centric. I find that the Grixis improvised decks are a lot harder to get, and they 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 go down the road of when you open busted rares or uncommons, and you build around it, and you've got to get lucky. The green decks usually center around you having um, a tune with Aether. Uh, there's a 3-2 for 4 mana that goes and gets a basic land, plus there's like Renegade uh, map. Or uh, whatever it's called. So you're usually green blue with one to two splashes. Yeah, like like I had a deck the other day where I was green blue, but in my deck I had like two plains, a swamp, and a mountain, and my deck was busted. It was like absurd good because it had like two Maverick Thopterists, like two uh, Cloud Chasers, and then uh, like the black card was I I don't remember it was something busted. You know, it was like some it was like oh it was the black white three three for four that returns a creature from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah. Not Restoration Gearsmith. That was the it's something Gearsmith. It's something Gearsmith. Yeah. So it was that card. Right. And then my deck is just a green blue deck, other than that. Just a bunch of like good energy cards that work well just together. Casually splashing an Orzov card in your Simic deck. Yeah, I was just splashing an Orzov card in Simic deck. It was never a problem. I'm, and I'm also running like 14 lands in this deck, by the way. It was like eight, eight, eight yeah. forests, like, you know, four, four or five islands, then like one, one, one or something. Because I had like three attunes and like, th- you know, two maps. My deck was unreal. Right, because like I'm drawing all Those these extra. Also, go around later than they should because they're they're unassuming for most limited players, but they're good in the format. <gasps> yeah, and just people are like kind of scared to draft the gold cards and draft them early, and I'm just like, yo, let's go. Like, if I see a cloud chaser, like pick three, we're we're we're, we're going. <laughs> like, you know, yeah, I'm, we'll it, figure it out. Yeah, I'll figure it out. My my man is gonna be good. There's in there's prophetic prism in in the format as yeah. well, which is just good in a lot of the decks because artifacts matter. Right, so yeah, you can either tap it to improvise. You're tapping it for mana essentially, and it already can't drip. Like your two drop and limited usually like doesn't make a huge impact. You know, you can fall behind on the draw when you're doing something like that if your opponent's very aggressive. But you know, the, the I think this format slowed down a little bit because they didn't reprint Renegade Freighter. Thank God. The, Thank God. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, it was the worst part of the format. Uh, but it really just sort of made the format more aggressive as on the whole. Uh, and 
that this has allowed some of these multicolor decks to be a little bit better than they were in the original Kaladesh. You would actually love the deck that I have right now on my account. I need to send you a picture of it because it's... um. When, so depending on which version of the red deck I'm playing, I do differently. Like if, if I'm drafting the red green deck, it's generally a little less aggressive and goes a little bit bigger on the curve. The red white deck is generally aggressive. The red blue deck goes all the way up the curve because you have like five drops of like Maverick Thopterus that's really good and stuff. And you, it's it's more artifact centric, right? The red black version, I'm generally trying to kill you very quickly. And like I value one drops in that one a lot more, you know, like Night Market Lookout. Um, what's the one that's the it's the two, three for one red. If you have an artifact, what's the name of that one again? It was in constructed uh, for a while. Yeah. Um, uh, something Apprentice. Inventor's Apprentice. Inventor's Apprentice. I have a deck right now where this is limited. Remember, I went turn one Inventor's Apprentice, turn two. Um, oh my God, I literally just blanked on another card. The, the Mythic uh, Vehicle, Heart of Curin. And then I unlicensed Disintegration them like a turn later or two. And I was like, yeah, I just have the constructed deck. I didn't get the Scrap Heap Scrounger. Like, that was not in there just to have all of it or whatever. But my deck is very good. I have like multiple Night Market Lookouts in my deck because I have multiple like good aggressive uh, vehicles and stuff. So Night Market Lookout Sky Skiff was the thing that people figured that, out that's my deck. late in that format. Yeah. And it was really good. And it's still good in Kaladesh Remaster, mm. by the way. Yeah. So if that's that kind of thing that you want to be doing, yeah. It's the kind of format that I like because every deck is viable, right? Like I have a super aggro deck and then I have that, you know, I have a Bant deck the other day where I was trying to deck my opponent because I'm I'm this three color cool deck with a lot of ways to draw cards and stay alive. But I had, you know, three of the mill one drop. Yeah. You know, no, that was a, uh, that was a sneakily good limit. Yeah. Because you, you have the full range really of decks. It doesn't really get mentioned a lot, but it, it was quite good. Yeah. You have the full range of decks. And then like, I've had really cool control decks. My favorite ones ever uh, is... You open, um, God, I'm so bad with deck card names right now, um, Dynavolt Tower. You open Dynavolt Tower, and then you get, like, a Trophy Mage, because it goes and gets a 3-drop, so you have, like, multiple copies of that, and then a bunch of instants of sorcery, so you're just always, like, bolting things the whole time, and you're just... So you're just playing the Todd Anderson special. Yeah, yeah, it's, like, my favorite deck, or whatever, because the, the cards that are good in your deck go around later, right? Like, there's a, it's, like, Leave in the Dust or something like that. It's, like, a 4-mana instant. spell that you draw a card. It's Cryptic yeah. Command. Yeah, it's just bounce, bounce, draw a card for four mana. Yeah, it's just cryptic <laughs> yeah. command, right? But then you're like, well, I'm getting energy off of it. I get to bolt something. I'm buying time. I'm drawing a card. So you have all these cool decks. And that's the that's the thing that I think we've been missing out of like the last two or three limited uh, sets online is, you know, with the last set, I thought the set was cool for like the first two days. And then I was like, well, if I just don't have uh, like Roost of Drakes or whatever it's called, the, the uncommon that makes Drakes when you kick her, like... Those games, and it's not even fun at that point. Like, that was the best deck. It was easily the best deck. You know, you kicker it. It was good. There's some aggro decks that were good, but, like, the format was kind of stale and boring quickly. Same thing happened with the format before that got stale and boring quickly. With this one, I'm still drafting new and cool decks. Like, I opened Aetherworks Marvel the other day, and I was like, yeah, we're doing this. We're like, we're, we're, yeah, we're going <laughs> to we're gonna make it work. You know, like, there's, there's cool niche cards. There's cool niche decks. And you can do anything in the spectrum, right? Like, I was watching one of my favorite uh, streamers today, Dizzle stream, you know, there's a lot of cube stuff, he's streaming this, and he just, he had the deck I was talking about where he's just like, I'm playing like 13 lands, but I'm playing five colors because my, my mana's perfect and my, all my cards are extremely powerful, you know, and so it's like just cool stuff like that going on. So I'm a big fan of this limited format. Um, I don't know if I'll make, I, I might try to, if I make a big run and get high up on the thing, I might just camp my spot and try to get, what is it, top 1200? Yeah. Top 1200 and get to play one of those things, but then I just won't play in it. So when does the season end? I have no idea. I do not keep up with this stuff. It it, it shows on if you go to your ranking page on Arena, it'll tell you like yeah. I think it has the date right it, there. Once it's getting close, it'll tell yeah. you. Yeah. So I'm super excited about that. I wanted to uh, get back to the the historic event just for a couple sure. last points on that um, because 
I know this is the first, you know, big historic event I think we've had since the introduction of Kaladesh Remastered to that format. And the big winner here is pretty clearly um, Refurbish adding and creating this new Godfather's Gift archetype, right? Because they didn't have that before. This is the, the sort of the deck that existed in Standard, now adapted for Historic because you have access to Refurbish, so not playing um, Gate to the Afterlife. But instead playing some self mill, we still this is a list that took tenth place, Piper Powell. Uh, but they're one of the people that was, you know, X and one after the the no no, they were X and two after the Swiss. But um so where did they finish? They finished seventh. Yeah, so they won they won their first round and then lost in the quarterfinals. But it, it look this looks, you know, pretty typical to me. I think you know, charter course and strategic planning. It's almost all cards that existed in the standard version, except for Skyclave Apparition, which is busted. Just a huge upgrade for this deck. Huge yeah. upgrade. And just awesome. Yeah. Right? It hits, you know, it hits a wide range of stuff. It comes back with a, with Godfarer's Gift. People are always killing it because they want to get the yeah. illusion token, so you're always going to get it back. Exiling like, is such a big deal in this format. Yep. It, it really is perfect for this deck. And I think uh, I think that's the card that really, you know puts this deck over the top i think without it it would not be viable yeah but it's probably the best home for skyclave apparition that exists in historic right now 100 percent agree so if you're and this list in particular from piper has three copies of seasoned hallow blade that i kind of like yeah i saw this that has the ability to get a little aggressive yeah i saw I it, it was it really needs cool to. yeah it's also just a good target to to, to get back from god pharaoh's gift is like you just have this huge indestructible like four four yeah you, know, you can't just get wiped right and you have anything. Also, uh, you know, sorry if I'm jumping on you here. I do like the sideboard in this deck too, where you can just kind of almost transition into like a control deck in the sideboard yeah, they, if you want. They, they, this was a key part of, of what this deck did in standard as well. And you see that maintained here with even better options here. Wrath of God, great sweeper, some good counter spells, the one to fairy, um, you know, cages, sort of the ubiquitous graveyard hate card in historic, stops a lot of things. Muxus included, even outside of graveyard stuff, doesn't stop Godfarer's Gift. Godfrey's gift exiles the creature and puts a token onto the battlefield. So really nice that you're you can play the best piece of graveyard hate in the format in an ostensibly a graveyard deck and be okay with it. Um you do you even get to eternalize through Grafiger's Cage? Uh I am not a judge, so I'd have to see the stuff, yeah, but it's the same thing. It exiles the card and makes a token. Okay. And it's and it's an activated ability, it's not casting a spell. Grafter's Cage stops you from casting spells in graveyards. All right, this deck's so, great. Um, yeah, you just get to do everything. I love this deck. I, I, yeah, I, I, I wasn't sure if this deck was going to be able to make it in historic. It obviously like wasn't widely played, so you know this is not this deck is one hundred percent busted. But somebody top eighting a two hundred eighty person event with you know this archetype certainly a, a good sign. It does some powerful things. We know that Skyclave Apparition is busted. So finding a home for that card in Historic makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I've been saying uh, that since since we saw it on the spoiler. I think this card is one of the best white cards ever printed. Like, yeah. especially in the last, like, 10 years. Oh, yeah. I was trying to... I think I asked that in our in our Discord channel. Like, what, what's the last white card that was printed that was better than this? And the answer that I liked the most that came from people was Path to Exile. And that card was printed in, like, 2009. Was, yeah, way more than 10 years. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, the best white card printed in the last decade. Uh, card is incredible. So I, I would... I... I definitely I like Azorius Gift more than I like the Mono Black Gift deck. If you're trying to decide between the two, the um, so I, I would side for Azorius if you're dead set on playing Godfarer's Gift moving forward. And my last point on this, we and we both foretold the you know underperformance of Aetherworks Marvel. 
and that, that came that came to fruition. This was the big thing that people were testing and talking about it with the release of Kaladesh Remastered. Like, can we build a Marvel deck? What does it look like? How good is it? There was one person who played Team of Marvel in this tournament. They went 2-3 drop. And there was one person that played Sultai Marvel. They actually went 7-2, very strong record. The winning person in the tournament. That, that, that was what their record was at, after the end of the Swiss. But this is Tulio Jotti, who finished 7-2, ended up taking 27, so pretty bad breakers. But if you look at this deck list, Tannen, it's not really a full-on Aetherworks Marvel deck. Yeah. There's only two copies of Marvel to begin with. It's a Sultai mid-range deck. It's playing a couple Uros. It's playing some of the energy cards. Glintsy Siphoner is a big one, you know, along with Attune, Rogue Refiner, Servant of the Conduit. But it's not playing like Woodweaver's Puzzle Knot or any big energy sources. It's playing a bunch of interaction. I do. I like these casualties of wars. There's two of those in the main deck. But this is Aetherworks Marvel is just like another piece. It's not a critical part of the deck. I do want to Aetherworks Marvel into a casualties of war mid combat or something on somebody. Yeah, that just seems awesome. yeah. That just seems awesome and cool. I, but I would be more inclined to call this deck Sultai Energy than Sultai Marvel because it is definitely an energy deck, uh, but it is not a Marvel deck. Yeah. So Aetherworks Marvel. It appears that everybody figured out that this card is just not that good. Um, and I w would not expect it to see it moving forward until we get a return to an, ener an energy mechanic and we get more energy cards added into the format. Who knows when that will be? But I, I just wanted to make sure that we remembered to pat ourselves on the back for that. Yeah, absolutely. And so since we talked a lot about Historic today, and we used to be just a Pioneer podcast, I actually want to ask a question here. And, you know, I want to hear people at home's opinion because you and I have opinions for this too. And we're going to try to make this not too long because we can we can hear other people's opinions, maybe come back to this subject. But with Historic being what it is now and, and coming into the limelight, because it was a joke beforehand. Like, I, I don't think there's any other way to, to say that's a joke. By the way, still not on Gatherer. It's still not on Gatherer. Um, Speaking of jokes. Yeah, because Cedric tried to do it on, like, on stream or whatever the other day. And he's just like, what, what's going on? Why can't I find... Because he wanted to know if a card was legal or not or whatever. Um, I want to ask... Is there room for both of these formats? Like, do, do we actually need both of them? Yeah, so this was actually asked to us as part of our mailbag for this week from Cody Absent Battle Priest. Apparently, this is a question that the uh, Arena Deckless podcast sort of tackled recently, and they wanted to know our thoughts. Um, I believe in previous podcast episodes, I have, um, I have brought this up, that I'm worried that Pioneer is going to get pushed out. So... To me, I, I, as far as competitive magic goes, I don't think there's room for both. I, you know, I think modern has to stay around and should stay around and will stay around as a sort of older competitive format uh, at this point. And you really need a two primary competitive environments that move faster. Is of course, one of yeah. them. You need at least two. Yeah. That, so like that, it's clear because you can't just you can't just get along with only standard. Standard gets stale towards the end. So you need to be able to, to focus, shift towards another one. And so you, you need the second. The question is whether you, you need or want the third. And I don't think you do. You know, like you you essentially have four three-month seasons after each set is released. And you can play standard for, you know, six weeks of it and play historic for the other six weeks of it. I don't, I don't think that's enough space to fit three formats in. because that, And then, you know, everything cycles back when a, a new set comes out. And I, I, I am worried. I, and it seems to me that the longer the pandemic keeps us away from Paper Magic and the longer it takes them to eventually get Pioneer onto Arena, the more entrenched Historic is going to become. You know, nobody's talking about Pioneer right now. There's a lot of people playing Historic right now. I 100% agree with everything you said. 
Um, to take it a step further, like what you were saying, um, I think what you do is you, you have modern as your legacy. You know, you have historic now as like what was modern, you know, like the in-between, especially when more and more cards are going to get added to it because we have even more coming soon. And then you have standard as like your fast, fast moving, you know, changes pretty quickly format. I don't think you have room for Pioneer. What do you do with it? Because I do think it is a good format and deserves some limit. Maybe you suspend it until Paper Magic comes back. You know, maybe they make that announcement like, hey, we're going to put Pioneer on hiatus kind of thing. Pioneer is basically on hiatus right now. There's no, no big I agree. For I'm it. saying, but like from Wizards perspective, like if, if they make a decision for this, so I'm, I'm talking as if I'm Ian Duke, you know, I'm making the announcement, you know, like, hey, the ban list, you know, oh, here's our new suspended list, the Pioneer format. You know, and hey, we'll revisit this when we can have Grand Prix. We'll revisit this when you can have Star City Game Opens in a city. You know, we'll revisit this when we're playing Paper Magic consistently. Because here's the thing. Can you imagine going to play, like, Magic with your friends or whatever? And you're like, hey, we're going to play Magic at my house on Friday night. Come over. Uh, what decks do I need? Well, uh, Standard, Historic, Pioneer, Modern, Legacy, uh, oh, we even have somebody who has a vintage deck here. Don't forget your commander deck too. Uh, your tiny leaders deck. Uh, your your hold on, hold on. Uh, can, 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 prismatic stairwell. Uh, Canadian Highlander. Uh, as I was say, uh, don't forget about that one. Which I like that one better than commander. Uh, and but, yeah, bring your cube too. Yeah, bring your cube too. And then um, there's there's definitely some. Uh, what was the what was the the commander variant they made recently? Where you have like a you have an artifact and a legendary or something like that. There was, yeah, it's, there was, it's like a one word, whenever there's also this, there's this format on, uh, arena that's I'm, I'm in the, I'm in the discord for it's called gladiator, which I actually kind of like or whatever. It's kind of like, com it's kind of like commander singleton stuff on, on arena, but it's, it's everything. And then you set it all up on the side. I don't know, whatever. Anyway, but there's, there's just too, there's too many formats is what I'm trying to say. And so, you know, one of them kind of kind of has got to go, and if it is, you just have to think it's got to be Pioneer because there's no support for it right now. Now, and logistically, it just makes sense. Yeah, you may see a slight resurgence in it. Uh, we saw, you know, some good results uh, of people playing it recently with the this, you know, the super cues or whatever. So if that stuff comes back, like if we go into another shutdown, which there's a chance we go into another shutdown, if they start putting bigger stuff online again, like they were at the beginning, Pioneer was banging. At the beginning, you know, there's a PTQ almost every day, you know, like, you know, they put some bigger stuff like that. But it's like you said, there's just no need for it. They've got everything set up via arena at this point that I don't think they need to do what they did at the beginning of lockdown with with Magic Online. They've got periodic, you know, champion call time championship qualifiers on that program. That That's enough. So there, I think what we see now is what we're going to get. And if you know they do you know if they officially put pioneer on hiatus to me that that's just a death knell for the format that just means it's not coming back 100 percent. Why, why would it like what, what purpose it doesn't serve the it no longer serves the purpose that it used to serve historic serves that purpose so why does it exist it's, it's sort of like extended you know extended just like outgrew it, it then its need and we got we got rid of it and we made we made modern and now modern is taking the place of legacy. We sort of need something in between. We need a new modern, right? Uh, and that was going to be pioneer. And now it seems like it's instead going to be historic because of the pandemic. I've talked about this, but maybe they the just combine the two at some point. 
Yeah, like is is that what you end up doing? Like, because if you're that's, it, it, that's sort of what they're doing right now, right? right? If you're going to bring all these cards onto Arena, right, that are from Pioneer, if like they're still going to do it, they're like, look, we're going to not have Pioneer, but we're going to bring these cards on anyway, and then we're just going to add them to Historic, so Historic just becomes Pioneer. Like, you just meld the yeah. two formats at that point. Yeah, you end up merging them. Yeah, that actually makes sense, though. It's going to be Pioneer with like twenty weird cards in it. Yeah, the supplemental like, stuff the, like the Muxus, Muxus, yeah, Pact of Negation. You know, By the way, just why the fuck is Pact of Negation in there? Yeah, like that card I, is just I don't know. is miserable. But have you, have you seen the blue white control decks that play Gideon in Pact? Gideon of the Trials. Why am I not so surprised? Like, you, you, make, you, you make the emblem, yeah. so you can't, and then you just pack the, their stuff. Yeah. Why, why am I just not, it's, not, it's not surprised? Cool, um, so the uh, so it's it's going to be like Pioneer with like twenty extra cards, and then like randomly you're going to find out that this weird niche card that should be, that was in like Kaladesh, wasn't in Kaladesh Remastered. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I can't play my Fleet Wheel Cruiser. That would be a great cyber card for this weird matchup. Yeah. But it's just not there for some reason. Yeah, but um, didn't get printed. Yeah. And, and that's kind of why I don't like Historic. It's just, it's awkward for me to try to conceptualize what is in the format. But you can just go to Gatherer and search it and find <laughs> it all there, Ross. That, that said, go to Scryfall. At, yeah. at this point, I don't really like I don't have the same recall that I used to. Like, 10 years ago, I could think of a card and be like, that card was in this set, so it's definitely legal in this format. Now, yeah, yeah. We're getting older. We're getting older. Yeah, and, like, not only are we getting older, so our skills are declining, but also the number of things we have to remember is increasing. So the task only gets harder, and our ability to, to perform the task only diminishes. So time is a bitch. So really great great question from Cody there. We did have one more question from the mailbag from uh, Wessel Groot. Uh, is double elimination a good tournament structure for magic? I'm just going to answer this one very simply. Yes, I think it is. I think you will see the cream rise of the crop, the top a little bit more when you, you, you can afford to have a round off, you know, you can have, you don't have to be perfect in every tournament you play. So you, to me, this question is a little vague. Like I would never run a tournament that was double elimination from the start of the tournament. Right. Oh, I see what you mean here. I see what you mean here. Okay, I, I think I misinterpreted this question. So it's it's as an element. I think I think d- playing double elimination from the final cut instead of single elimination is interesting. Like I love the way um, the any all the small events that Watsi has ran in the last year or two. Um, maybe not all of them, but at least the most recent ones, like the grand finals. I loved the the format for that and some of the yeah. arena approach. Yeah, absolutely. Where, like, you play a day one. As soon as you get to the number of wins you need to day two, you stop playing. So there's no weird situation where, like, you kind of want to concede, but you can't. Um, and every else, like, you know, keeps playing until you have a certain number of wins or a certain number of losses, and you're out. Because that's easy to understand. It lets, you know, the certain number of people rise to the top. And then once you get to that final cut, they ran, you know, a double elimination bracket. Yeah. And whoever gets the number of wins first has a higher seed. So, like... I like that. You know, the f- yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, and that's essentially how they ran it. And I think that that format is great. So... it's it's You could follow it. On, it's not too convoluted. Yeah. Yeah there's there's a balance between being convoluted and being uh you know a format that is conducive to separating the best performing players on that weekend within a reasonable time frame to fit the logistics of the tournament and double elimination as an element you know towards the end towards the end when the field is narrowed makes a lot of sense because especially if you have people that you know maybe went 7 and 0 through the, a portion of the tournament some people that went 7 and 3 and now like okay we've got to play a match and if you beat me the seven and three advances and that, that like you avoid some of those feel bads. Whereas if that person loses twice, it's like, okay, well you're out. Yeah. We had that a lot in Hearthstone and I kind of, I kind of liked it even though it got me real good. Uh, so that's it for the mailbag submission this week. Uh, great questions. There's one, there's one more here. Uh, I only got these two. 
Oh, but I've seen one from our lovely editor. Oh, Brent. I missed this. Okay, go ahead. I missed this. And this is an easy one, so it won't take long. It, Brent asks, how reasonable would chess clocks be in a tournament MTG ooh, setting? Ooh, can I answer the it? The answer is awful. Yeah, just not at all. Literally not possible. Awful. You pass priority you know too many times. how many times you pass priority on a given turn? Most of them happen implicitly. But just think about how many times you have to pass priority on a given turn. If you played with chess clocks, you would ha- you would literally have to do it every time you pass priority. You know, even if there's nothing really going on there. Uh, great questions for this week. Uh, I really liked both of them. Again, if you want to be able to ask your question online, I'm sorry, on the show, have us answered on the show, even say your name, uh, all you have to do is be a part of our Discord and be a patron of the show. Uh, that's a, that is a patron-only perk for the show. Now, we did have a couple of... Uh, we're going to try to cover a few of these in the, the, the new cool thing that we do with overrated, underrated from here. So I thought we are going to knock out like five or ten of these depending on how long they take from the show to make sure... All right, uh, first one. Oh, it keeps scrolling to the bottom. Sorry, people keep posting while I'm looking at it. All right, split pea soup. Uh, never had it, but peas are very underrated, so I'm going to assume this is also underrated. Literal exact same answer. Never had it. Like, I, I think peas are underrated, so. Yeah, I love peas. Like, with a little Parmesan cheese. Ooh. You saute peas in, in butter with garlic. Ooh. And I like all and of these words. A little Parmesan cheese. They're really good. Um, because they could use the salt, and it's it's great. Oh, a little lemon too. Yeah, need a little. Ooh. Lemon. Maybe some zest. All right, sign. Yeah, yeah. Sign, a, little, a little zest, a little juice. Signpost uncommons. Uh, very overrated. I actually hate when they just like tell me what to do. Um, I think the best part about magic is like discovering all the cool things that you can do. And since the signpost uncommons have happened, I've noticed a trend where like the color combinations that don't have a signpost uncommon usually aren't very playable. Again, agree. I just don't like that. Uh, I don't know if I want to ask this one, but sure. First, past the post voting. Um, so I uh, keep in mind this is overrated, underrated. I'm going to say overrated. Um, it it is something that. Oh wait, uh, sorry. This is obviously um, yeah, this is of course overrated. I was thinking the good thing, ranked choice voting, uh, which is also overrated. People just focus too much on voting. Um, but yeah, first past the post voting is obviously just horrible. It just it creates a game theory incentive for you to merge into two competing groups, regardless of how many exist. Mm. Agreed. All right. One of the major reasons we have a two-party system. So obviously sucks, but everybody knows it. So is it even that? It's like not that overrated, right? Because everybody knows it sucks. We just don't have the power to change it. Okay, sure. Uh, next one, I'm going to answer this one first. Poutine. Uh, massively underrated. But that's also from an area where we just don't have it here. So I'm like super excited to get it. So I think it's rated pretty highly, but I do agree. I still think it's underrated yeah, because it's I amazing. think it's really fucking good. It's really fucking good. Especially when, like, if it's well done, like, it just, uh, all the elements are great. Fries, gravy, and cheese curds. Uh, if you don't know what poutine is, just put those three things together. Uh, that's what it is. But it's really easy to, to uh, fuck up fries and gravy in particular. The cheese curds you just kind of put there. It's just about the quality of the ingredient. But you can make some bad gravy and you can make some bad french fries. But if you make good French fries and good gravy, this just sounds awesome. Yeah, I'm gonna cherry pick a few of the next ones. Um, coffee of very overrated. Overrated. I'm not a coffee drinker, so I just don't. I don't know. It it's. I don't actually quite understand why I don't like coffee. I love coffee beer. I like coffee flavoring and a lot of other things. Chocolate. But yeah. for some reason, I just don't like coffee. I've tried it multiple times. I've tried it different ways, and I just don't get it. So to me, it just has to be overrated. Overrated. All right, uh, I'm going to start this one. Old MTG border. Underrated. I think it's like, looks amazing. Yeah. Th- this, to the surprise of no one, when they made this change with the border, 
uh, the magic community went nuts and thought the game was going to die because that's what we do. <laughs> the sky is falling. We, yeah. And now I actually, I think if you polled people now, they would say the new border is better. And it, this is just a nostalgia thing for us, I think, that we just yeah, like Yeah, it just looks cool when you have it in remember. sleeves and stuff and I, having old school I do cards. Think magic has gotten away from a sort of like Lord of the Ringsy fantasy, which is how they were for the beginning part of the And almost more existence. like steampunk, like a lot more yeah, new Yeah, it's age. a little bit more that now. Yeah. And it, shiny, everything's more modern. Shiny. Everything just has more of a modern design yeah. aesthetic to it. And honestly, out, even outside of nostalgia, I would I prefer that more classic aesthetic. Same. Uh, the next one, I think you and I are going to have the same answer. I would be very surprised if we didn't. And I think people are going to not be surprised by this one. Anime. Yeah, very overrated. Overrated, yeah. I don't, I don't get it. I don't get it either. I've tried. Look, here's the thing. I've actually tried. I have watched a, like a good bit of stuff and, and like sat down and watched hours of it. And some of the stuff, I'm like, yeah, this is fine. Like, yeah, I'm I'm sure I could find an anime that I would like if I searched a lot. But like the the actual animation style doesn't appeal to we me. We just pissed a lot of people off, by the way. Most of the pl- most of the plots of them just like it. It feels like it was written by manatees. Yeah, um, I just don't understand. Car-centric city design, underrated for me. For you, probably indifference if you don't drive. Mm. Well, car-centric city design is horrible. Uh, but most people, a lot of people know this at this point, but I don't think everybody knows this. So so this is an easy overrated for me. There, It's really, it's objectively awful. I might be thinking about this wrong, but go ahead. It's it's about like the fact that we have one, the car, uh, car-centric city design just takes away a ton of space. Not only for that's fa- widening that's streets fair. to fit more traffic, okay, but that's also really parking. You know how much space in the United States is covered by parking lots? A lot. <laughs> and how, like, it's not like they're filled to capacity frequently. Like, we're using them at, like, 10% usually. It also means, that, like, that that's just a tax that a lot of people have to pay. Do you know, do you know how much a parking spot is in New York City? Like if you if you have no a idea, and I don't want to know. For, I don't want to know. It's more than my rent. I don't want to know. Yeah, yeah. It's... I pay less in rent than people in New York City pay to park their car. Yeah, fuck that. Why anyone would have a car in New York City is beyond me, but some people do. I'm gonna have fun with the next one, so I want to hear your answer. And then I'm... hold on. Sorry. The last thing is that car-centric city design has pushed us to uh, underfund or sometimes entirely defund public transit, which then disadvantages people that can't afford cars. That's actually a really good point. And I public didn't think transit about that way. is awesome. Yeah. And, Agreed. you know, if we had better public transit in cities, you would start to see demand for public transit to get between cities. Agreed. And you would see, like, regional trains and stuff start to pop up. That needs to happen. And, yeah. you know, getting to magic tournaments would be way, way better. Yeah. All right. Um, um, yeah. So, yeah. Car-centric everything is awful. I hate cars. I hate them. <laughs> I really do. All right. The next one, I might go off Love a little trains. bit. So, uh, next one. Trader Joe's. Massively overrated. Okay. I think it's a little bit underrated. Uh, I am a massive fan of it. It's the only uh, grocery store that I feel completely safe in in the city to go in. They make you wait outside at a six-foot interval. They only allow a certain amount of people in. They sanitize everything. They do not let you in without a mask. Like, while the other stores here just don't care. They won't even say anything. Also, uh, so... I have a rule. Okay, so this is a co- this is a COVID distinction. No, no, that, no I'm getting, that would I, bump it up for I'm me. getting into more. I'm getting into more. Yeah. Um, I am not allowed in Trader Joe's unsupervised. Like, Natalie <laughs> has to be with me. It's just like, she's not allowed in Hobby Lobby without somebody there with her. Uh, I will buy literally everything in the fucking store. If I go there, I'm like, oh yeah, I want this, I want that, I want this, I want that. Also, their prices are great. Their selection is good. And I like where they source their stuff from. So I'm a big fan of that one. I'm um, we'll going to go on for a few more. 60-card uh, decks. 
Uh, underrated. Underrated, yeah. Um, yeah, I just, there's very few reasons to play more than them. The card Brainstorm. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer this one. I don't care where you have this card rated. You have it underrated. This card is unreal. It's, it's, it's really, really, it's really unreal. Really good. Like I have, I have played Legacy for, I don't know, ten years at this point. Like competitively for like eight or nine years, right? I have never played a deck without Brainstorm in it. It is <laughs> unreal good. It. I have played a lot of decks without Brainstorm. In it. Yeah, you were just really dumb. No, I'm joking. But to be fair, we have we have the same number of yeah. Legacy Open wins. True. True. I have a lot more. Copies I probably have you. more seconds though. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, anyway, in, in individual legacy opens. Oh, uh, individual legacy opens. Yeah, yeah. I, I've only played in like one. So. Okay. Yeah, and yeah, I never I got to play. One. I never got to play my deck in an individual legacy open. But um. How many How many team open finals losses do you have in playing in the legacy seat? Three. Three. Mm-hmm. Okay. That That's how many individuals I have, and in one of those team events, I was your teammate. So I have four. Yeah. 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 Uh, no, well, no, no, you have two. You have two, Legacy, you have two finals losses with us. Yeah, yeah, but th- those don't count as me playing Legacy, though. Right. I, that's a that's a poor analogy. So we each have three finals losses in opens playing Legacy. Yeah, I have eight top eights playing Legacy. So, um, all right, uh, Omnath and Modern. I'm gonna say adequately rated. Um, it it might even be a little. O- well, no, it, it's part of the best deck. I think it it probably was overrated initially, and now it's gotten to the point where it's properly rated. You know, modern's really fucking powerful. Transformational sideboards. I'm going to say overrated, overrated now. Way overrated now. Back in the day when they first started happening, massively underrated. I yeah. still remember the first time someone did a transformational sideboard against me with um, Heartbeat of Spring was like one of the first big ones, that deck. Uh, like yeah. Chris McDaniel, Star Wars Kid was really big for it. The first time someone did that, I died so bad to a Vine Lesher Kudzu or whatever another sideboard because I'm just like... <laughs> I boarded out my 12 removal spells or whatever, and I just died to this two drop that was just a 10 10 eventually or whatever. I just like yeah. got destroyed. Um, the gate watch. I'm going to say overrated just because it's oversaturated. There's so much of it. Let's, let's have a little variety, which they've yeah, been doing. They've been doing more. So maybe, maybe it's getting more to properly rated soon. Uh, still overrated. Though. A good, this is a good funny one. Podcasts. Very overrated. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. I actually don't like, I don't listen to podcasts and don't like them. Um, I'm happy to, I, I actually enjoy making one so uh yeah the, yeah the, the, uh, that's that's not me subtly indicating anything to anyone but to me like it's it's difficult for me to focus on a podcast for that long i like i understand that they're useful for people who are in cars i, I have to do it with or, something else i had to be driving or yeah, running yeah. or something but yeah. when that happens like i like i don't think i would be able to focus on a podcast while driving you know when you're listening to music you don't have to be as focused on the music you can be if you really want to you want to like learn all the lyrics and really like think deeply about the music you can but you don't have to to enjoy it when i listen to a podcast i often just like don't hear half of it because i'm thinking about something else and so i don't listen to them very often there is a uh i do listen to the the locked on jazz podcast which is david Locke, who does the he's the radio voice for the jazz team he does a daily podcast it's only like half an hour so it doesn't demand much of my time um so that's like the one podcast that I listen to regularly. So if David Locke ever listens to our podcast, now he knows. Yeah, you never uh, know. There's, there's some crossover. J- trans, j- jazz fans and MTG players, there's some crossover. Um, I'm sure there's some crossover, but, you know. Well, there's one the, right here. The radio voice, he's, he's like an outdoorsy guy is what I gather. Illegal, like We've had the he, outdoorsy episode where we talked about axes and belts and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the next he one. actually was sponsored by Grip6 Belts for a while. All right, anyway. Uh, I do love those belts. I haven't worn one in freaking forever just because, like, why am I wearing I'm, – I'm at home and, like, wearing gym shorts while I'm wearing a belt. The next one actually got answered by the person, and we're going to have a little fight or whatever. Um, the next one was Firefly, which is the TV series, Firefly. I, I, I So 
I've, you know, periodically checked the Discord and I'm scrolling through the overrated, underrated to see what people are, uh, you know, posting. And a couple days ago, probably, uh, I see this and I'm scrolling through and I saw somebody put Get Out and I was like, that, that movie's really good. I'm going to say underrated for that one. And then I noticed they had the red and I was like, oh, that's Tannen. I was like, why is Tannen posting like a, a thing? And it's like, no, it's just Tannen responding to the person's post above who's saying that Firefly is overrated yeah. because Tannen loves that show. It is one of my favorite TV shows. Um, if you like The Mandalorian, I don't know how you could ever say Firefly is overrated because it's just a better Mandalorian or whatever. But here's the thing. Obviously, it's a little overrated because people talk about it as like the greatest show of all time, but it only got one season in a movie. I think as a television show, especially for network, this is made for Fox, you know, network television or whatever, that it is a perfect TV show. I thought the character development, the storylines, everything was amazing, especially if you go back and rewatch it. It's extremely rewatchable. Uh, the dialogue and stuff is great. I just think the show is just a masterpiece, but I mean, whatever. Well, I've never seen it, so I can't really comment. Yeah, it's really good. I've actually so been rewatching it again. It's overrated as fuck. Yeah, so I that's literally what they said, overrated as fuck. But I, I think it's slightly underrated because I do think the show is great. Uh, someone said fucking Jund. I'm going to say overrated. Yeah, people just love... Midrange decks in general are tend to be overrated because people just like playing fair magic. Midrange decks usually give you the... like. Uh, the illusion the of chance. <laughs> of knowing that you have, you know, have a chance against anything, yeah. so... Um, I made a lot of money off people making that decision in modern, so I'm I'm really happy with it. That I well, I was playing Tron and I just kept getting paired up against John. It was a lot of fun for me. I don't care what you say. If you think your your Tron matchup's good, it's not. Uh, next one is people talking about these different gas stations that like Wawa. Never been to either one of them. Sheets. I don't even know what they are. Never been to one any of them. Uh, so Sh Sheets is the one that's around here. I know, quote unquote. I know what they are, but I've like yeah. I've never I I couldn't tell you the difference between any of them. It there's, there's sort of like 7-Elevens, basically. Which do also don't exist here either. I'm sure there's a 7-Eleven near you. Nope. Like, rough, roughly near you. Nope. Uh, they're, they're in Vegas. By the way, it was the first time I ever saw there were 7-Elevens in Vegas that didn't have gas. It was just a convenience store, like, on the corner. There's one in Lafayette, Louisiana. Okay, that's over an hour away. Lake Charles. Two hours away. Um... So all I did was. By the way, good good pronunciation of Lafayette. You know, I, I can pronounce words. I mean, I saw you struggle with one of the syllables. You had to kind of like your mouth wasn't used to making that sound, but it's there, fine. There, there's also the the uh, accent French mark, yeah. American Revolution figure, the Marquis de Lafayette. So, oh yeah, yeah, okay. You know, I, I have practiced pronouncing that one. So I'm trying to figure out where I don't know my Louisiana geography that well. Where exactly are you relative to the coast? I am uh southeast of the like i'm in like the little boot part you know where like where your foot would be or where your toes would be like okay, okay. so i'm southeast by new orleans oh, yeah it looks like it's showing up a, they're all to the west of me towards texas is what you're yes. saying yeah but th there's one like yeah there's not one like super near you but there's one like an hour away uh, that i i would have assumed there was and they're one, probably like, not in a spot where like i'm 40 minutes of you yeah but. they're probably not a spot where i'm gonna see it you know what i mean i'm yeah uh, yeah um, so th these are like, they're like that. They're better. The food is a little higher quality. They have some food that they prepare. Like at Sheets, you can get a burrito. Okay. Like, okay. I, I, I get where you're going with this now. And like, we have, uh, we have like some things like this, but I still kind of don't ever want to eat there, but go. Wawa is more like Pennsylvania, New Jersey area. And they do a lot of just like sandwiches. Right. Right. Like, kind of like sub sandwiches. Um, I've never been to a quick trip, uh, but I've been to plenty of sheets, you know, we often would stop there, like driving to tournaments or whatever. Uh, and they're all overrated. There are people that like really like them actively. And they're just like something you should be eating like on a road trip and not really ever else. 
Um, that you know, they're better than the national chains. Like it's better than Seven Eleven. Between the three of them, I would give the edge to Wawa, but it's close between it and Sheets. It was slightly higher. Uh, I guess between the two that I know, I can't evaluate Quick Trip. But between those two, I'd say the Wawa food is slightly higher in quality. Sheets has more variety, and I do value variety when I understand the quality is going to be pretty low. Like even a slight increase is not that much. But on the balance, I'm still going to go Wawa. All right, good answer. Uh, last one for today, I think, is what we're going to cover is, and I'm going to let you answer this one first, Thor Ragnarok, the follow-up Marvel movies in general. So I've, I have seen, how many Marvel movies have I seen in my life? Well, let's just let's I've just do Thor Ragnarok. Let's, let's do a quick well, answer. Well, I haven't seen that one. Okay. I'm trying to, I've seen Iron Man, mm-hmm. and I've seen... Um, Avengers? Nope. Jesus. Deadpool is a DC, right? Uh, Deadpool is also Marvel, but it was with a different company. He's he wasn't technically part okay. of the same Marvel. That was when that Fox Marvel was, Cinematic Universe. Well, that was when Fox was doing it. They had X Men and Daredevil. Uh, Daredevil. They had X Men and, and Deadpool, and that was separate yeah. from Marvel. Now they're all under the same roof. They got bought out by Disney. Okay. Well, I I saw the I've seen the original Deadpool, and I've seen the original Iron Man, and I don't think I've seen any other Marvel movie. It actually just got announced like two days ago that they're going to do Deadpool three under Disney, and it will be R rated. That was like the they were like very they're like is this actually gonna be a thing but i think they're gonna be opening up um thor ragnarok in my opinion is one of the more important marvel movies in the fact that thor's the character thor was god awful so thor ragnarok is the third thor movie even though he's been in a bunch of other movies but it was his third like standalone shouldn't it also be the last one because ragnarok is the apocalyptic war at the end of the world well his his world actually gets destroyed but there's there's new there's like new areas for them and stuff like there's okay his, so some of his people survive world, that's that's so, how they get away with well it. the world the world itself the physical world itself does not ex- asgard does not exist anymore but there's new I was, asgard i was just excited so, at the prospect of these endings um i mean it's it's it it, it was like semi-important to the story but not really or whatever it's just, but here's the thing the, the thing that made it important the first two thor movies are not good they are they are quite possibly some of the worst marvel movies made like if, if you rank all the all the marvel movies Generally, they're going to be towards the bottom of everybody's rankings. And one of the problems is is the the characterization of Thor in the first two. He's like very brooding, very serious, like, I'm the god of thunder, must win fight, blah, blah, blah. In <laughs> Thor Ragnarok, they realized, yeah, they realized that Chris Hemsworth is actually a very funny actor and that they needed to change the character. So they used his like, hit, like they changed him comedically. Like he has a very good comedic timing in the movies along with like Loki and everything. And they changed his character to be like, I don't know. They made him more of a comic book character if that makes sense to you in the way that I'm talking. I wanted to say more cartoonish, but like that's kind of it, it has a negative connotation to it. But they made him more fun, more loving, like more lovable, and just like just more entertaining, honestly. So like in my opinion, Thor Ragnarok saved that character. Like he he was in a bunch of other movies after that. It's great. They're gonna he's one of the people that's going to keep going in the movies afterwards. They didn't kill off all the characters. They killed off some of them, but some of them are going to be like either doing TV shows or kind of like phased out in the next coming movies. He seems to be like he's going to be in the forefront of some important stuff that's happening in the future. So we'll see. But the current characterization of Thor, where it started at Ragnarok to the future, way better than than what it was before. Those movies are just not very great. And it's not really a lot of his fault. A, is the writing. B, a lot of the early Marvel movies don't hold up super well. But they were very good for the time. But then the barge got super, like super high raised. Hold on. Go ahead. We didn't finish. Tanner. What did we not finish? 
We didn't. We only talked about Thor Ragnarok. We didn't talk about the follow-up um, Marvel movies in general. Well, okay, so like, which is my time to shine and rant about how much I hate superhero oh movies, God. canon, you're, which I've already done to you many times. Here's the thing. But you're gonna hear it again. No, no. Here's the thing. You're just wrong. Like you can maybe not wrong. Like, you can not like it. They're obviously great. Like billions of people enjoy this. <laughs> like they're very entertaining. They're well-made movies. You could say all the bullshit you hate about the stuff, but they're super entertaining and they're great, man. Like they're good movies. I love them all. I literally cried in one I of them. I don't care. I don't care anymore. There's too many of them. Like there was not one the- this year. There was not one this year. You know that, right? It's the first year in a decade. It's the first year in a decade that we haven't had one. <laughs> yeah. So here's my problem with them is that they now dominate the like movie landscape. I mean, it's the only kind of movie I want to see in a theater anyway. I don't want to go see a random movie in a theater oh, even before pandemic. Even I before pandemic. Enjoy the theater experience quite a bit. It's very immersive. Have Have you ever brought a date to a movie theater? Well, they're not good for dates. It's. Well, I think going to see a movie with your date. If you're, unless you're like an actual couple, like early, yeah. early dates, don't, don't bring a girl to the movies. If we can ever do that. Yeah. Again. It's a horrible, it's a horrible idea. idea. You don't get but to interact with them It's at like all. $60. <laughs> like, cause here's the thing. Movie tickets, like, you know, 15 bucks a piece or whatever at a decent theater. So that's like 30 bucks if you want good seats or whatever. She's going to want raisinettes. You have to pay more for good seats at your movie If you, theater? if you, okay. So if you go to like a normal movie theater, like here or in like most cities that have an actual movie theater, you have like regular screens and you have like IMAX, you have like 3D. If you want to see it in IMAX where it's better, it's more expensive. It's also the bigger, better theaters with the better seats and you can you can uh, pick the seats that you want. So if you're like, hey, I want to go at eight o'clock, you can see which seats are open. You're like, I want those two seats, right? Because otherwise you're like, remember how back in the day you used to like have to show up 30 minutes before a movie to make sure you got decent seats? You don't have to do that anymore because you can request what seat you want at every theater that matters now and stuff like that. So, yeah. So I haven't been to a like big like brand movie theater in several years at this point. That's pretty obvious, yeah. There's a, a there's a a community owned movie theater here in Roanoke that is w- walking distance from my apartment and it's the only one I go to. They have a bar in front, so I I get there early anyway. Most so have a I bar in them now, thankfully. Yeah. And so I have a drink and then I take a drink in with me. And, uh, I don't have to bring uh, a flask with me anymore when I go, when I go see movies. Yeah. But the like the the tickets are like something around ten twelve bucks, and you know obviously like concessions or whatever are, are really expensive. I've and never they're, been and they're so bad anyway. They're so bad but, in general. Like give me some actual food. Yeah, uh, there are there are movie theaters that, that will do those that are for you those now. are bad too. Their their food's all, terrible. But anyway, all all I want is a is a package of of goobers, some chocolate covered peanuts. Okay, goobers are go. great. So I, you know, when I go to the movies by myself, uh, well, now I get alcohol, so it's more expensive. But outside of the alcohol, um, which isn't really a movie-related expense per se, because if I wasn't going to the movies, I would be drinking anyway. <laughs> True. So, you know, so the the expenses that I attribute to the movie-going experience are non-alcohol-related. But um, and, and it's not like the alcohol is, is upcharged that much. It's actually competitive with the other bars around there. So I. Uh, so like that package of goobers cost me like four bucks. It's way overpriced, and I could probably like get some at the grocery store and bring them in or whatever. But whatever, I'll support my community-owned movie theater and give them four dollars because like you know movie theaters they make all their money off concessions. They they barely break even if they're lucky uh, on on ticket sales. So uh, and this I like the little community-owned movie theater. Like none of the theaters are very big, but like it's not. I I'm sure if I went to like 
you know, opening night of a big movie, it would be packed and maybe I would have to buy tickets early. So it would be sold out. And I like, maybe I, w- I would do that, but I, I just rarely do that anyway, to the point where I'm worried about like finding a seat. I go to a movie a week later on like a Tuesday and I'm one of, you know, three people in the theater. Maybe sometimes I'm the only person there and it's this like 40 seat theater. So it's pretty small, which makes it even more immersive, which is what I like about the movie theater experience. And I sit there with my package of goobers and it costs me under $20. So if I took a date there, it would, you know, even if we got got some popcorn, like, yeah, maybe I could I could see pushing up to like 50, you know, outside of alcohol, of course, again. But um, like, it wouldn't be that expensive. You just got to go to cool community-owned movie theaters. None of this big corporate nonsense, Tannen. Those don't, ex- those don't exist here or in most cities. But so, I, Like, I saw, um, I saw Battle of the Sexes a couple of years ago in theaters, I, the movie about Bobby Riggs and, and Billie Jean King. That had Emma Stone and and Steve Carell. I saw um, Lady Bird, the one with Saoirse Ronan. That was v- very good. I love Saoirse Ronan. Um, the oh that movie oh, also had Saoirse Ronan. Um, uh, it's animated. The, the movie Loving Vincent. It it's probably three or four years old at this point, but it's uh, a dramatized account of the events surrounding Vincent Van Gogh's death. And it's sort of like a mystery, the mystery surrounding it. It's not particularly historically accurate, although we do still, uh, historians speculate about exactly what happened that led to his death. And there are some some theories. And this movie kind of explores them. But the the, the trick with it, or the, the, the hook, is that it's an animated movie where every still is a hand-painted oil painting in the style of Van Gogh. And so it took them, you know, they had thousands of artists painting these things and they, they set up the movie that way. So the movie is just gorgeous. And it was awesome watching on a big screen. Love that movie, by the way. If you haven't seen it, I would recommend it. Um, so this idea that, like, I only want to go to movie theaters to see these, like, big action movies with these great special effects or, like, you know, cool IMAX movies. I remember when IMAX first started happening and, like, the IMAX theaters were in, like, a museum and we would see something about, like, an avalanche happening on Mount Everest with people climbing it. And the avalanche was, like, fucking coming towards you. I have some vague memory of this. Probably at the... Honestly, I want to say at the Mashantucket Pequot Museum that's across from Foxwoods. But maybe it was at the... No, no, no. This was at the Norwalk Aquarium, other side of the state. In Norwalk, Connecticut. When I was probably, like, 11. so late 90s. But... Uh, my one i don't really like the like action movies you know the, the kind of thing that superhero movies are t- to begin with and i don't like i know you keep saying that they're all like really good movies but like what what makes like the i just don't i don't really get into the premise to begin with so like the i'm sure like the character development and just the you know general quality of the plot lines and everything is improved and I've been unfortunate in that some of the few superhero movies that I have seen due to various circumstances over the last decade have been some of the worst ones made, like Suicide Squad and Batman vs. Superman, yeah, those are not good. which were two just heinously awful well, movies. Well, you're watching DC movies. They're generally worse, but yeah. Yeah, it just... Uh, I, think it's, the... I think it has a lot to do with a lot of things. Uh, a, it's like, it's it's a realization of your childhood, right? You know, like, I was a big comic book nerd growing up. I loved comic books as a kid. You know, I remember... When I was a child, my favorite characters were the X-Men and Iron Man. So, like, seeing that brought on the big screen was just cool to me, right? Um, I enjoy it. It is a spectacle. 
I think it's a great thing. I feel thoroughly inter entertained when I'm watching them, right? And they're like, the writing's great. Like, there's in-depth storylines. You have to pay attention. But it's not to the point of, like, some other movies where, like, I feel like I need to notice every little detail. Like, I can kind of turn my brain off a little bit, be entertained. It just It's just the whole package for me. They're well done, well acted. How easy is it to, so, and this is hypothetical. I don't plan on doing this. How easy would it be? For me, someone, and by me, I just mean someone who has essentially seen none of these right. movies, to watch like the first Avengers, just all the Avengers movies. You can watch, another question, you can watch any of them individually and be satisfied. The movie will be good enough as it is. You do get more from watching it from like, you know, all the movies leading up to it where like there's a, there is a cohesive storyline that they're, they're going through, but it's not, it's not overtly so like every movie is, a, is an entity in and of itself there is a you know a plot there is a, a climax there is a you know uh things going on at the same time there's a big bad in like every movie that they're trying to beat or whatever that said i think if i were to you know start doing that and i would like went to the next big avengers movie or you know any marvel movie really i'm like everyone whoever i went with whatever group i did would then like you know because it, it seems to me like everybody who is watching these movies has seen almost all of them and is like really into it and they know all the little details and I just wouldn't be able to be on that level, uh, which is not a reason for me disliking them. I have no interest in, in getting into them in the first place, but I really dislike how dominant they are in the popular discourse around movies. It feels like 80% of the conversations people have about movies right now are about the Marvel Cinematic Universe. And I'm just like, I can, let's I can talk agree about with that. anything else. Yeah, I can agree with that. Just like, yeah. anything else, please. Just don't talk about it. I mean, like, you can... You yeah, can, well, I don't. You can dislike something and not be aggravated by it, Ross. Sure, I'm not, you know, railing on Twitter about this all the time. The question it sounds was like posed you want to. to me. It sounds like you want to, Ross. <laughs> yeah, I've been holding it in. I can tell. I'm not, I'm not going to say I haven't been holding something back. Yeah, yeah. But I recognize that, you know, it's not my place to just tell everybody else that the things they like suck, even if I'm right, which I am. <laughs> which I am. <laughs> but if you ask me, I'm not going to lie to you. Oh, I love you, Ross. Right. <laughs> Let's move on. Uh, we got one more thing we got we to gotta talk about, and that's our sponsor for the show. Make sure that you check out BarristerAndMan.com. Com. Uh, great products. I am. It's it's funny. If you can look at me. I literally shaved yesterday. You can tell that I have no. I have like very little hair on my face. Um, I use their products every day. You know. You know some of their soaps along. I'm taking showers, but I'm real big into their shaving products. Which it's stuff that I didn't realize I was missing out on. It's amazing. Uh, I love the shaving brush. I love the shaving soap uh, along that stuff. Um, the shaving balm. Oh man, it's been a godsend. My, my neck just feels great, by the way. Just like, I can just feel my skin being better and healthier and I'm a huge I'm fan. I'm going to be, uh, shaving and trimming down the beard in, in a couple days. So I'm excited to get, mm -hmm. get some more of that balm to use. It's, it's great. I'm a huge fan of all their products. I keep talking about this. Uh, I need to, do, I, I'm, I've done some of it myself. I need to make sure I finish it. It's the holidays coming up. You need to ship some stuff to people cause you might not be seeing them as much. Super easy. Uh, I would get your order in sooner rather than later to make sure that it gets out for the uh, in time for the holidays. I think a lot of people are going to run into that problem this year. Their stuff might not show up on time. And I say a lot of people, I mean me. That's yeah, going to definitely. I am a hundred percent going to run into that problem that's, that's, because I'm so lazy when it comes to this. It's so easy. It takes five fucking minutes to get on Amazon or whatever and order it and ship it, whatever company, whatever. And I just don't do it. But make sure you check out Barrister and Man. 
Um, we have a code to get 15% off. Check on it. it. It was just Pioneer Cast in the past. I don't think it's changed since then, since we've changed our name. I need to double check, actually. We'll, we'll tweet out about that uh, some more in the future. We'll talk about that in the next show as well. Even if we change it, the Pioneer Cast code will still work yeah. for at least some time. Yeah. It's not, we're not going to just cut it so, off immediately. Yeah, you so get, that one will work. Yeah, you can get 15% off that. It's more than it's most likely going to cover your more than your shipping. So you're getting a little bit of stuff for free. So make sure you check some stuff out. Uh, I think it makes great gifts for not just that, that guy in your life, but you know, your, your, your best friend, your best man, your best buddy. Uh, there's some stuff in there. Girls will like too, or females will like too. Uh, and it's just a good gift all around because I, I think I've talked about this before. It's, it's something that I like and really enjoy, but I wouldn't necessarily get for myself. And I don't realize that I'm missing it. Yeah. You don't notice the difference until you, you and there's a difference. It. Like I'm yeah. just a big fan of their products. Love out their stuff. A lot of new stuff coming up too. A lot of new. Fl- uh, I say flavors. A lot of new scents, fragrances. Yeah, I said scents. A lot of new scents for their their soaps and stuff. I said flavors. I'm not. I'm not eating it. I'm not that far gone. <laughs> I am alone a lot right now. I'm probably doing some stuff I shouldn't be doing. But anyway, uh, make sure you check it out. That's Barrister and Man. It's really getting to you. <laughs> I know, right? This is uh... eat fucking aftershave bomb over here, bro. I need to just go outside. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> is that like bath salts? Is that bad? No. But, do you have a Do you have a bacon flavor? <laughs> Why? No reason. Just uh, <laughs> just really want to smell like bacon. Bacon and cilantro, please. But anyway, um, <laughs> but yeah, check that out. Got, Barrister yeah, chicken tikka masala. Yeah. Oh, shave. Yeah. yeah, some butter naan. But all right, <laughs> barristerandman.com. Check them out. Uh, let them know that we sent you. Uh, been hearing nothing but good stuff in the Discord. People talking about all the products we've been getting. Huge fan of their stuff. Make sure you check it out. Great people making it by hand as well. So, Ross, if people wanted to hear more from you, these rants and these opinions that you think are so great, where would they go? First place is my Twitter. I am at Ross Hunneds, H-U-N-N-E-D-S. That's your best one-stop shop for all of my content, as well as various non-magic rants. Good place to ask me questions as well. I try to get back to people as much as possible. Um, then there is my written content. Uh, my columns go live on starcitygames.com on Tuesdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This week's article, which is live now, is all about how I'm adapting my Orzhov Humans deck and Pioneer to this return of Boris Byrne and Mono Green Devotion. Those are decks that weren't really around or weren't heavily played when I first built the decks. The deck needed some adapting. So I haven't made, you know, huge wholesale changes to the deck. You know, I've probably changed five, six cards, but it's nice in-depth about why those changes uh, I made, uh, those specific changes that I made, and about those two matchups. So if that's a deck that you've been a fan of, or you just like to hear, you know, in-depth deck tuning, um, that's going to be a good article for you. Then there's my non-written content, by which I mean Versus Live. We've been on a bit of a uh, hiatus recently. We're actually going to be back next week. But on regular uh, schedule, we are Tuesdays and Thursdays, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, on the Star City Games Twitch channel, the same place you go to watch the ICG Tour online. So we play, you know, whatever format is relevant for competitive magic that week. We have a good time. We take questions from the audience live on Twitch. uh, And would love it if you can join us live. If you can't. Those do go live on the SCG YouTube channel the following day at 5 p.m. Eastern. And then finally, there's my stream. I am Ross underscore Miriam on Twitch. Haven't been streaming much recently. Uh, I promise I will start doing it again soon. Hmm. Soon. When will then be now? Soon. soon. Um, Tannen, where can people find you? They can find me on Twitter at the Tannen Grace. Uh, I'm really, really, really active on there. 
And uh, you can find me on Twitch under just Tan and Grace. I have actually been active recently, been streaming some drafts and stuff like that. I also make some appearances on other streams like uh, Todd Anderson's, you know, usually about once or twice a week playing some Warzone with him. So uh, you've heard me talk about that game quite a lot. You can come and watch. Todd is very, very good at it. And it's very fun to watch him play. As for the show itself, it does have a Twitter. Let me make sure I say the right one this time because I said the wrong one. It is at MTG underscore rants. Uh, it's very easy. To, if you type in MTG rants, will probably pop up. It's super easy to f- find. Make sure you follow on there. Um, it's the easiest way to find any announcement or anything from the show. And we do retweet quite a lot of stuff on there. Um, there is a Discord link in the Twitter. You already mentioned the Discord earlier. Get in there. It's awesome. Trust me. But you can only... I can't, t- I can't tell you what the Discord is. I can only show you. So make sure you try it out. Lots of cool stuff going on in there. And we do have a Patreon. It's at patreon.com slash pioneercast. Um, we appreciate everyone that supports the show in any way, but we really appreciate the ones that can help us support us monetarily so we can pay Brent uh, so he can eat and feed his cats and keep shaving his head. You need that's Razors are expensive, so we need to have Brent be able to do all that stuff. Those are basically the only things he does. Yeah. So as long as that, those happen. And then make fun of me. He makes fun of me a lot, but... That's, well, yeah, everybody does yeah, that. Say, that's, that's just, you know, that's right in that next tier of things you need to live. It's like right after shelter, food, oxygen, water. I have water, feelings, Ross. Making fun of Tannen. I have feelings. Just, just letting you know, not a lot of them, yeah. but I've, I've got some. And when we stomp on them, it sustains us okay. as a people. It's it's, it's okay, sure. Um, but yeah, the, the Patreon, there's, there's a couple different levels on there. We appreciate any supporting we can give us. Uh, we do have some stuff going out to people as soon as possible. we got to get some, some new stuff made with the new name. But you get some other perks and stuff, too. You kind of heard us talking about them earlier on the show. Uh, a couple different things for everyone there. So make sure you check that out. We appreciate everyone who listens to the show. And we'll see you all next week. It's not my place to just tell everybody else that the things they like suck, even if I'm right, which I am.